0: I am your host, Lucas Ferreira. In this episode, I sat down with Kathleen Prindle, who's the head coach for Performance Aquatics in South Florida. Kathleen has worked with pretty much all levels of swimming, though her biggest presence is working with senior level athletes and helping them succeed at the national and world stages. She's also a very active presence on the governance side of the sport, currently holding positions on the board of directors of her LSC, that's short for Local Swimming Committee, the USA Swimming, and the American Swim Coaches Association, or ASCA. In fact, she actually flips the table and interviews me about my involvement in governance, which is much smaller, at least up to this point. This was a great conversation, that did go a little long, even for the standards of this podcast, but honestly could have gone for hours more. So, here's another episode of the Swim Coaching Transit podcast with Kathleen Prindle. Hi, everyone. So, uh, Kathleen, first of all, thank you so much for agreeing to join me for this.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, and uh, shout out to uh, Alexis, who actually kind of put us together, gave me your info and say, yeah, make sure you reach out to her. She's going to be a great guest, which I'm, yeah. I'm sure is going to
1: be the case. She's a great friend and a great asset to our sport, that's for sure.
0: Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. Uh, had a great time visiting her back in, back in October. Feels like a couple de- decades ago now. but <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, so anyway, I guess uh, the first thing i like to talk about, it's now late May, almost June, of 2020 so we are still in a pandemic land and the so the first thing i'm asking people is uh, well first of all where are you guys at right now i think when we last spoke last week you guys were still your county was still closed and you were not able to be in the pool some teams are getting back in the pool so where are you guys at right now
1: so we are in the middle of the roller coaster so we're we're in south florida um where and we're also in um We have pools in two counties, Palm Beach County, Broward County, and that is right down in sort of the tri county area that is has been the exception to the state the entire time. So um, What's happening now is that no, we're not back in the water yet. However, some of our colleagues are, which is great. Um, And what I call it the roller coaster because I think we're all seeing this across the across the country. you know, when when a governor makes a, a mandate, and then it's it's up to the cities or the municipalities um, and the counties to really um, interpret those mandates and see how it feels for the local area. Um, and everybody interprets everything differently, which means that my pool is my city pool uh, is closed, and the city pool, you know, six miles away is open. <laughs> and so I think we're going to see a lot of that. A lot of the pools around here, um, you know, being in South Florida the pools are outside. So it's, you know, it's a little, it's a little easier for us, I think, but the phase one as they call it is just lap swimming only And um, in lap swimming, you can go online and pick your time in your lane. And so um, that's what people admit people that are desperate to swim are going online and picking a time in a lane. Uh, And that's kind of where we are. So I'm grateful. I'm grateful that USA Swimming had decided to suspend sanctions through the end of June. I think it's going to help all of us keep a good perspective on what's important right now. And what's important to me right now is getting back in the pool, any pool. I don't care. I just need to get in the water.
0: Right. It's weird that they go, I mean, maybe because they control lap swimming to a degree, but uh, a lot of people would argue that the teams actually have a, a better way to maintain distance than just, open lap swimming it's weird that they went with lap swimming first
1: yes it is but i think um i think there was some lobbying done yesterday um by some folks um to congress i i believe if i didn't get a chance to read the news article very closely but trying to help people understand the difference between uh what they're calling professional swimming but really competitive swimming and recreational swimming because right People that don't know our sport think swim team and they think, oh my gosh, millions of people, little kids jumping up and down. And that is true um, at certain swim meets, but to run a controlled practice is something different as we all know, no matter how old your swimmers are. And we have to convince our localities um, that that's, that's the case. That's the difference is that we're going to control the environment.
0: Right. And so, As you're out of the water, have you been doing anything to kind of keep your team together, keep your your team connected? What kind of things have you been doing while you guys are away?
1: Well, same as everybody, really. The first, our last day at our, we're at a school facility and a city facility. So, last day at our school facility was Friday the 13th. And the last day at our city facility, I think, was whatever day of the week wednesday the 18th and that was in march so we spent the end of march trying to frantically decide what was best for our our families and our customers and what would best serve them so it, we you know went into emergency mode uh and figured out what was best for them and it, what i've learned since then is that teams are really amazing just so creative coming up with all these amazing ideas and hopefully everybody did what's right for their customers. So for us, we decided to create, um, we wanted to walk the line between lots and lots and lots of communication, but not being annoying. And I have a senior program, so it's 13 and older, which, and it's a small team. So it made it a little easier in some ways for us because our customers are a little more uniform um, and our team is smaller. So we're doing the same thing. We're doing dry land on, you know, we're doing Zoom meetings, uh, mandatory team meetings. We're doing Zoom dry land. Um, we've created some at-home dry land programming. Obviously, there was the waiver conversation. Everybody had to sign their waiver and uh, make sure that was all done properly. Um, we, do, we do this um, Instagram run thing, which is kind of fun, where it's optional for them, and they can run along with us. Um, I actually okay. don't do the running. My assistant coach does the running. <laughs> uh, so I'm not so much of a runner, but um, we do that. We have this thing we call Pack Live because the name of our team is Pack. So, and that's sort of an informational um, hour that anybody could log in, and we're just talking about what's happening in swimming today. You know, any new developments where we are, and parents will hop on that call, or athletes will hop on that call. And I found that that's a lot easier for me than trying to. Uh, field 100 phone calls and you know what's happening, what's going on. So uh, we, we've we sort of devised these communication methods and I think that's basically the same as what other teams are doing. I mean like I said it's been really cool to see the innovation and the enthusiasm and the creativity that's come out of this um, and so I think everyone's just doing the best they can. The, the teams I feel for um, are the teams that just sort of gave up and just went, oh, 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 this is awful. There's nothing I can do. And hopefully they've, I think that was our, initially all of our reaction, but I hope that they've all come around to, there's lots of different ways uh, to serve your customers. You just got to find what's best for you.
0: Yeah, I think it's the power of the swim team as a community beyond swimming. Uh, I think it's, it's really important, something that people realize uh, which I thought was pretty cool. So there's a lot of stuff to talk about there. I mean, uh, one of the things that I've been asking people, too, is is there anything that you are doing now or that you have to start doing now and that you plan on continue to do once things get back to, to normal? Because, like I said, it's a, such great innovations, so, such great ideas. But I, before we go there, uh, let me ask you a little bit more about this uh, hour of swimming. You mentioned. So you're doing that every day?
1: Oh, no. Heck no. We're not doing that. <laughs> No, thank you.
0: <laughs> okay, so that's like a weekly thing that you just yeah, have. Uh...
1: We do. There are three, like, uh, let's call them live, virtual, Zoom, whatever you want to call them. Three opportunities to have to meet as a group, as a team per week. Okay. Um, one of them is mandatory, so no exceptions. Team meeting. That's it. Everybody's there, uh, and then we've got two other opportunities that are optional, and one of them kind of leading into your question that I, I, I have liked, and I'm going to continue, is um, I have on, on Fridays, I have uh, um, an online calendar set up where athletes can, or parents, or anyone, coaches, whoever, they can go online and sign up for a half an hour Zoom call one-on-one with me. Um, I'm gonna keep that. That's my biggest learning after this lockdown. Um, because I remember hearing from mentors and and wiser coaches than myself over the years saying, you know, you can't, you have to monitor your time. So you wanna give your athletes as much time as possible, but also you don't wanna sit there for three hours. So I remember Terry McKeever from Cal, she has, um, someone told her to do it and she did it and it's helped her. She has like one of those, what are they called? The hourglass, an hourglass, that's what it's called, with the sand and it goes through and I think her hourglass is 10 minutes, but when an athlete comes into her office, she puts the hourglass down and turns it over, and there you go, that's your time. And the athletes learned over time to spit it out, because you know how it is, when you want to talk about something hard, you sort of dance around it for a while and talk about the weather and whatever, and uh, so this, after a few times of this, you realize, oh no, I'm at the end of my time, and I still didn't bring up the real issue that I want to talk about. So I always wanted to do something like that, but I never felt that I could as a club coach. I just feel that you know they're paying me for my time, and I owe them all the time in the world, and I do. But we have to we have to manage our time a little bit, and so I, these half hour Zoom, and you can make them 15 minutes or an hour, whatever's right for your people. But it's been great. So an athlete has something, they, sometimes they just want to chat. Um, which is also great that you have just a half an hour because then everybody knows you have half an hour. You can shoot the breeze, talk about whatever. Sometimes they wanna show me race video of themselves or someone else. Sometimes they have an issue uh, and it's been a really cool thing. So I'm gonna keep that um, after this is over and set aside some time each week that people can Zoom call because then you're in the comfort of your own home and you can really feel comfortable to talk about whatever you wanna do. You know, from a safe sport perspective, it's, a, it's it's if you have somebody that you're talking with, it's under 18, that's, a, that's a, another safe way to execute a private conversation. Um, it's recorded and it's also, it, you know, you're not alone in a room together. So that's actually really important too. So if, again, an athlete can talk about whatever they feel comfortable with. So yeah, that's one I'm keeping for sure.
0: That's nice. Yeah, that's a great idea. And I I heard that from other people too, that especially learning how to use this technology and Zoom and thinking that we can definitely keep using this in the future. And it's really helpful. So the the other question I have about the current scenario, actually two more questions. Uh, One of them is, what did you guys do with regards to finances on the club? Are you guys charging? Are you guys charging partially? I know that a lot of people went very different ways. Uh, so I, I'm kind of interested to see how, how uh, people are addressing because the teams still need to be operational and the coaches still need to buy groceries and pay rent.
1: Yeah. All right. So there, I have a lot to say about this. Um, you know, this is unprecedented. And I don't know if anybody watches CBS Sunday morning, but two weeks ago, I forget. Jim Gaffigan, that's his name, did a whole talk about unprecedented and how we throw that word around. Um, and he's a comedian, so it was really funny, but it's true. I'm so sick of saying unprecedented, <laughs> but but it is unprecedented. And the reason it was so crazy, as we all know, is that this happened to all of us. So when we have a natural disaster or a hurricane or a problem, um, you know, those things are definitely tragic. And as, a, as an aquatics community, we reach out and help each other the best we can. But it doesn't, it, it happened all at once, like I would say within a week or 10 days. Everybody closed so and it didn't matter if you were a big team small team a good team or a bad team or you know Whatever your situation was everybody was affected the same way and it was again interesting and In some ways inspiring and in other ways it was discouraging to see how different teams chose to handle it Um, And I agonized about it myself. So to answer your question I had an idea in my mind of what I wanted to do and I started listening to Every podcast and webcast that was out there, everybody was talking about it. I know that I went that swim coaches exchange group on Facebook was extremely helpful. People are very opinionated on there, and so you got to hear a lot of ideas. And uh, I really wasn't sure what to do. And I called my buddy Mark Hesse from USA Swimming. Because great he, resource,
0: I, by the way. I, yeah. I actually talked to him too. Yeah, great resource.
1: Yeah, he's he's been unbe- he's always unbelievable, and they're all they're all amazing. But he um, just. You know you know I, whether he took it upon himself or, or it was suggested either way he he's been out in front speaking his goal is to try to speak to every single club and he and supported obviously by Joel and everybody else in this in the, the, the sport whatever they're calling it today sport development sport performance whatever it is but anyway just really um, boots on the ground to every single club. That they could, in humanly possible. Like when I spoke with him, um, his throat, he, he had lo- almost lost his voice. His throat was sore from talking, talking, talking so much. Anyway, he gave me such good advice at the time, and I'm telling the story because I want to share it with people. I had never thought of it. So I had this idea in my mind okay, this is what's fair for my people. And he went, You know, you need to give people a choice. And I said, What do you mean? And he said, This is a time where none of us have a choice so we didn't have a choice to get out of the pool and families that are on your team some of them are furloughed some of them are not some of their jobs look different they no one's been given a choice in any of this so you need to have you need to have options available for your team and let them choose and i thought well if they choose if somebody gave me a choice i would choose not to pay so that made me nervous uh, but but it, he was right, he was right, like he always is. And he said, no, you, people are gonna surprise you. So for our program, we assessed how much we were willing to do online, and how much was right for them to offer online and virtually, and then we decided to go from there. So for us, we had three options. First option was, if you did nothing, if you just went along with everything, if you just went along with everything, then you were charged 50%. I hear your doggy
0: that's yeah um, <laughs> somebody's outside so <laughs> somebody the dares street. to walk across the street <laughs>
1: right right don't you dare the dangers working <laughs> from home I love it yeah. <laughs> cool. anyway so 50% is sort of the standard of what we did uh, and then we gave them the option to opt-in which was you could opt-in for your full dues which many people did not everybody not a majority but enough people did that surprised me and then we gave them the chance to opt out, which of course is uh, pay nothing, um, but you still can be part of the team and you can still participate in all of our virtual stuff. And there'll be no penalties. The only possible outcome if you opted out is that knowing that when we were, would return to practice, there was going to be a limitation on the numbers we could have in water and you have to get in the back of the line. So that was the risk you took if you chose not to, not to do anything. So um, I would say the majority, uh, definitely the majority of the team just opted to just status quo, keep it as it is. They were thrilled with 50% dues to keep the team going. And then, uh, then some opted in and some opted out and that sort of balanced itself out. So we, we were fortunate, but the financial impact on every team was immediate and drastic and dramatic. And I think that's really what hit home with me. I think I told you the story the other day, I got a call from a, a friend was a competitor who's 4 miles away from me. At the end of March and he, uh, he like you could he's a grown man and he's been coaching for 40 years. He's a very good coach and he has a team and you could just hear the tears in his eyes in his voice and he said, oh, "Well, I guess I'm done." And I went, "What do you mean? How are you done? What are you talking about?" And he goes, "Well, I just I suspended all my training fees and I'm going to go to the keys for a month and pray that I have a team." And I respect his decision that's his business decision there's no judgment on it at all but I thought is this what every team and every coach is going through right this minute we can't have this we can't have people giving up and just throwing their hands up and saying we oh well let's hope swimming still exists in three months no we have to do something so I took a little action on our end we created some grants some relief grant funding and that was really really cool um, and we're able to do that for our clubs in South Florida uh, and then a lot of people kind of jumped on that bandwagon. And, and and I think that that relief funding has been a lifesaver for many clubs. So yes, there's government assistance. I got some, but sometimes it's not enough, or sometimes it doesn't come quickly enough. And so just having this experience, this global experience of everybody going through the same thing, um, you know, I know we'll look back years from now and think about all the lessons we learned, but one of the things... I think I'm most proud of is being able to react quickly and assess what was right for my customers and what I thought. I, and I think I was okay. I think I was on the money there with what was right for them. Um, and then quick to take some action for our sport, uh, to try to help everybody's cause we were all in sort of the same situation at the same time. It was insane. So.
0: Right. Yeah. And I, that kind of touches on your your role in governance. You were involved with uh, Florida Gold Coast LLC and you are involved with the U.S.A. which I want to touch on later. I have a note here to make sure we kind of go back to that. But just to kind of uh, stay on on point of where we are uh, talking about right now, still talking more about the the current uh, scenario. One of the things we've talked about, and I, I think you kind of touched on it some already, but we talked about when we chatted last week, is how you also felt like this was something that we would not have chosen to be in this situation, but it gives us a, a chance to kind of reassess what we do as a sport as well. And mm-hmm. I don't know if you want to touch on some of those ideas, because I thought some of those were very good.
1: Um, all right. Well, let me see if I can remember that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one thing I can tell you, my memory is getting worse through this whole staring at my same four walls for <laughs> two months now. Um, yeah. I think part of success in life is your ability to react when something not good happens. I think that's a measure of, of success, no matter how you define your success. I think bad stuff's going to happen. Now, this is worse than most. We know that. I'm not diminishing at all this um, COVID-19 pandemic. Um, but to throw around that word unprecedented again, no one's ever gone through it. So there's no road map. From any front. So not only like, let's go bigger than just a little baby swimming like let's go into the world, you know, there's no healthcare roadmap. There's no government roadmap. There's no uh, Social Services Roadmap. There's no political roadmap, whatever. There's no one knows what the heck they're doing and but that breeds opportunity to 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 be creative because the people that are, I guess tenacious and forward thinking are going to find some ways out of this. And we're going to make mistakes. We all make mistakes and probably more now than ever. But if you can learn from those and figure out a new way, then you're going to, you're going to be successful again. So whether it's a pandemic or, or any other situation that arises in your life, you got it. You can't just lay down and die. You've got to find a way out of it. So um, I think in swimming, a lot of cool stuff is going to happen. Our sport, you know, I'm just thinking out loud. So this is dangerous to think out loud on a podcast that's being recorded. So this thought just occurred to me just now. But, um, you know, in our sport, we tend to struggle for attendance at certain meets. So now I'm not talking about your eight and under sizzler at your LSC outdoors in the summer. I'm talking about um, go to futures, go to nationals, go to the tier pro meet. These are opportunities for us, and we've been really working hard to try to increase um, attendance and and sell tickets and do these things. And this might be a way that we can get around this because we're going to have to not have attendance, I'm I'm guessing. I don't know what the rules are going to be or what it's going to look like, but I'm guessing that we're going to be limited in the attendance that we have. So what are we going to do about that? Um, This could, I don't know the answer. No idea. Just this thought just occurred to me. But but stuff like this, every every area of our sport is nuanced in that there's not the way we've done it before is not gonna work. I know there's a lot of people talking right now about virtual meets and how it's gonna go and how it's gonna look. And then and then in the on the governance side, which we won't get into right now, but on the back end, then we scramble to go, okay, well then how can we make that work? Then if you guys want to do that, we have to change these rules to allow for that because before we had different rules so that it becomes a whole process. I think from an athlete perspective, which of course is the most important perspective, um, there are opportunities for athletes and coaches to be so much better than they were before. And I know that as coaches, we love this lifestyle, but it is a little bit of a, what is it? Like a gerbil on a wheel. Like it's, it's, it's a little bit like nonstop, there's no break. There's, especially for club coaches there, there's no season it's year round. So you get a little break maybe in August, uh, or you get a little break at the holidays maybe, but you know, it is a, it is a constant. And so the, the opportunity to, um, take a rest and stop and think it through what you're doing is powerful. I think we, the ones that care, we will be better coaches, athletes, the ones that care will be better athletes. And, you know, I, I don't know about anybody else. I haven't had any time for self-improvement. All this make yourself better and learn a new thing and all this lovely baked sourdough bread and, you know, whatever. I, I don't know. I'm too worried about swimming right now to be doing any of that. But at least, at least physically it's a break. At least physically you don't have to leave your house. So you don't have to run to practice and get distracted. and You have some time to, to really think it through. On the athlete side, um, really important. You know, we are an overuse injury sport, just like baseball. So our shoulders are going the entire practice until we're kicking. And there might be injuries that maybe, um, maybe an athlete doesn't even know that they have. Maybe they're about to get injured and they don't know. Maybe they have an old injury that they're just ignoring. Because you know, in my case, I work with a lot of older athletes, and oh yeah, I have a knee thing from. Twenty years ago, or back in college, I did something in the gym, and I never really addressed it. But I know I only have a year left, so I'm just going to push through. But is really is that really the solution? Because when you're 80, are you going to be able to walk? You know, you need your knee, you need your shoulder, and so the other benefit is that there's a lot of bad too. Don't don't get me wrong. I'm not right. Yeah. <laughs> but um, the other benefit is really listening to your body as an athlete and fixing things that need fixing. Resting things that need resting, and then focusing on the right stuff. If your coach can point you in the direction of the right stuff, you know, stop obsessing over your time for one second and focus on what you're going to do to get there once you get back in the water. So I think I just listed a bunch, but those are, there's so many. If you just sit and think through any avenue, there's just so many different ways we can go as a sport. Well, I think it's important to try to stay positive and try to focus on these these improvements because there's certain things we can't improve, like our aerobic capacity in the water, not improving right now. Sorry, you know it's not happening. Um, but there's other things that we can improve.
0: So. Right. Yeah, I think that's that's exactly the the point of kind of what we talked about last week is. Uh, we would never have chosen to do this and we would never have chosen to take this long of a break, but it was a forced break and it was a forced break countrywide and worldwide. And so you're not having to be worried about competition and all of a sudden you can lean back and say, well, right, so what can we do different when we come back and what can we be better? And I think that that's, again, it's a chance that we didn't choose to be here. We wish we were not here, but now we're here and we can make ourselves better for it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um,
0: so the very last thing about this current situation before we go into like a normal set of questions is uh, what are you missing the most right now?
1: What am I missing the most? Yes. Well, I miss, my, I miss my athletes. I miss, I love the grind. I don't know about anybody else, but I love it. I mean, I love the most when I love the beginning of the season and I love the middle of the season. Uh, because that's when you do all the work. And that's what I always tell my athletes. This is when my job is. Your job comes at the end of the season when you have to race, you know, that's on you. But what's on me is all this. And I love it all. I love trying to read and understand each of my athletes as a person and then figure out how to get the best out of them. That's what I miss. Cause right now it's hard to get the best out of someone on a video chat, you know? And it's that day-to-day interaction. It's the um, changing workouts on the fly based on what I see when they walk in the door and, you know, giving them, today I'm going to challenge them, today I'm going to go easy on them. You know, all of that, that's what I miss.
0: Yeah, that's, I think that's, that's the answer kind of I heard the most from, from most coaches. So it's, it just sounds just about right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, I think that's what we all like. That's why we were all in the sport and, and in the profession, because uh, yeah. we enjoy that that day to day. All right, so uh, kind of moving on to what would be the, the usual start here. Uh, the first thing I would do would be to ask you to give kind of an overview of your career as an athlete, as a coach, leading up to where you are today. And when I ask, as I say, you can be as succinct or as detailed as you like to be. So really the way you, you want to take it, kind of like your path all the way to the present.
1: All right, well, I'm getting older, so that's a longer story now. <laughs> it wasn't always this long. I'm going to I'm going to go backwards. I'm going to start from today and go back. I'm a firm believer in that you're only as good as your last accomplishment. So, we hear a lot about people that oh, back in the day I was a so and so and I did so and so and that tends not to impress me much because what have you done lately? You know. So, I think when you're building a career, you need to keep pushing yourself to make a difference. And I think that's I don't want to bore people with, oh, you know, I learned, I swam at the Avington Alligators in Pennsylvania and, you know, I did this and this and then I went to high school and was captain of my high school team. and I could go through that whole story. But um, the bottom line is swimming has always been part of my life. Um, I was introduced to the sport at a young age by my grandmother, who was a career swim coach and an Olympic trials qualifier, which I didn't find out until after her death. Um, and she really taught me to love the sport and so i did i loved the sport i participated on rec league i participated as an age group in aau and then i participated in high school swimming and then college swimming for a hot minute and then i decided i wanted a social life um and then i began coaching and i've been i sort of think i was always meant to be coaching in some capacity i think my grandmother was grooming me for that from a young age. I started helping her with swim lessons and stuff when I was still young enough to be in swim lessons. She ran all the aquatics in my small town in Northeastern Pennsylvania. And um, she and another gentleman actually sort of were the aquatics people. And so I was exposed to a lot of things at a young age and became a lifeguard and became a WSI and and became a coach and was a YMCA coach. and was a, a school coach and was a summer league coach and the whole thing from when I was like, you know, probably 11. So all of that led up to me being really sick of swimming. Um, And I decided that I wanted to do something else when I graduated from college. And I did. And I worked in the fashion industry in New York City for 10 years. Pretty successful career there. Pretty proud of that. But about halfway through that time, I missed swimming. And I thought, Oh my God, I've been doing this my whole life. I'm so sick of it. No, I miss it. It's, it's who I am. And so I started a team in in Hoboken, New Jersey. I started an age group team and I also started a master's team and I was working in the city and taking the train back and forth and really found myself over time, leaving my quote real job to go quickly to the pool and get back to the pool and, and train. And so then I just uh realized that okay face it this is this is what you love you know and and came back to it so i i hope that was succinct enough um you know i've done a couple of these podcasts and i always feel bad about giving the whole background so if you really want to know you can listen to (laughs) 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 to read read my bio i don't know but um but i think is swimming swimming something either love it or you don't and people realize quickly and that's why we see lifers I guess like myself at this point that have been doing it and it's part of who they are and then you have people that come in um, and they try it out and then they they maybe enjoy their time but it's not for them and you can see that in the numbers the last time I looked in depth at the numbers was probably 2017 but if you look at the USA swimming coach registration numbers um, it's it's pretty high Um, Like that right out of college range. I think people are still deciding what's right for them and what's not right for them. And then it dips pretty dramatically in terms of coach registration, coach enrollment, uh, coach involvement. And that's probably because people are finding another profession that works for them, or maybe maybe they're taking time to have a family. Or whatever and then it sort of spikes again and those are the people like me okay you're you're in your mid-30s now and now you go oh I missed that I love that let me go back to that and then it drops again when you get tired and then you have the lifers and it spikes a little bit again with those those people that are like 60s and 70s and still doing it which is wonderful Um, so it's it's interesting you should look at that curve sometime because it sort of is indicative of I think a typical swim coach if i had to interpret it myself
0: <laughs> yeah. and so during that that path and it, it's okay to, to be as as you were but uh is there were there any uh mentors along your way that you would like to highlight
1: yeah i mean again my first everybody says oh i want to thank my family but my grandmother was my swim coach model she was and now I'm starting to look like her, which is kind of funny. So I laugh about it. Um, she's, she was amazing. And again, gave me that love of the sport. And she was really, I mean, I hate to say this, but she was a female in a male dominated industry, very successful and blazed a path. And I mean, she started later. So she was an athlete when she was young. Um, she had five kids, her husband dropped dead on Easter Sunday when the fifth child was an infant and she raised five kids on a swim coach salary by herself. And, and this was in, you know, the, she, her husband, my grandfather, uh, who I obviously never met, was uh, fought in World War II um, after the war, you know, starting their new life together. And then this happens. And the strength that she must have had to have We need a lot of strength to be good coaches. We know that. But to do that and raise five kids by yourself and still have time for your athletes and for your children and your grandchildren is something that has stuck with me my whole life. So I think my first mentor was my actual grandmother, who was also my earliest swim coach and also my earliest boss when I started coaching. But she taught me patience, I think. She taught me how to be patient without being a doormat. She taught me how to be, be there for my athletes and be there for my staff. And that's something that has carried me through my whole life. Um, but then later, I had a really wonderful opportunities with a coach in New York called Dave or Don Galuzzi, uh, And he gave me an opportunity to help him start his program at Stevens Institute of Technology that's in uh, northern New Jersey in Hoboken. And then he gave me the opportunity for pool space so I could start my own team and I started my first team there, like I mentioned. Um, and he was the first swimming boss, I guess that I had that gave me the freedom to just do whatever I felt was right. I made a lot of mistakes. Um, my age group team was kind of maybe not so successful, like from a performance standpoint, <laughs> um, you know, but, but it was a learning experience and he gave me that freedom and that uh, autonomy. And then, um, I started a master's team because little kids um, I love little kids, but me personally, I work better with older athletes and he let me go. He said, this is your training ground. Like you make all the, I made so many mistakes on that master's team. You should have seen the sets I gave them. Um, And they were all New York city, like pretty high functioning professionals. So they would push me, push back at me, but I learned so much and I learned from him that it's okay to make mistakes. And I learned from those athletes um, that you better know what you're talking about. You know, if you're going to give a set, you better you better understand why you're doing it, not because you read it in a book or you saw it on Facebook. You have to know the reason why this set is for this athlete. And then probably the the most, well, not the most, but one of the most recent, most influential mentors was uh, a coach that I had named Michael Loberg. He has since passed away. He passed away in 2011. Uh, he recruited me to come and work at his swim club which was called coral Springs swim club called me up out of the blue i was i had recently moved to florida and i had been um coaching coached a high school team had a little business like a a swim lesson business on the side learned to swim that kind of thing and i was working with a school handling their aquatic programming which i still do and um he called me and he said hi this is michael loberg and i went who uh and he said "I, i want I want you to come and work for me. I've heard about the work that you do, and um, I think you'd be a really good fit. And I was like, "Yeah, I don't know you, and I don't really want to be a club coach." That was kind of—I didn't say those words, but in my mind, that's what I was thinking. And he, he said, "Just come and meet me, and we'll talk about it." So like, I got phone, I talked to my husband. I said, "I don't know. I don't even want to go. Like this town, Coral Springs. It's like 40 minutes from our house. I don't really feel like it." And so. My husband goes, just go. It's a free dinner. That's what he said to me. (laughs) All right, so I went, and that was the beginning of a long and beautiful uh, relationship. He he mentored me, um, and he saw something in me which I don't even know if I had seen in myself at that point. And he said to me, "All right, I got two jobs available, and I'm gonna after we finish our dinner, I'm gonna tell you which one I'm gonna offer you." And I said, "Okay." So we go. We have this dinner. Then he kind of grills me a little on, like, give me a set that you would do for your high school team. And he started putting these scenarios out. Meanwhile, this man, I'd never met him before. Now, obviously, I looked him up. So before we interviewed, I looked him up, and it turns out he's a six-time Olympic coach. He's one of the top coaches in the world. Uh, so I was a little bit intimidated going into our dinner. And then he said, at the end of the dinner, he said, all right, there's two jobs. One is to help with our swim lesson program. And one is to help me personally with our national team. We're looking for a national team coach. We can't find anybody that's a good fit. We've tried coaches internally um, from other areas of our program and nobody's quite a good fit. Uh, do you want to do it? And I thought, well, that's an interesting, that's something new for me. Uh, that's something interesting. And then from there, that was the end of the story. So uh, I became his assistant, ended up um, helping him essentially run the club, but also uh, coach his national team at the time. Coral Springs was uh, pretty, pretty renowned. Um, Michael was Mark Schubert's assistant back in when Mark Schubert moved west coast to east coast and started a program at what was called Mission Bay in South Florida. Um, And Michael came from Germany uh, and was his assistant there along with Jack Roach. So we got all these greats. And so for me to be able to be underneath that coaching tree and to be able to learn from people like that uh, was an opportunity. So I, although I had been a head coach a couple times, I took a job with the title of assistant, um, which I think is relevant here because, um, you know, it doesn't matter what the title is. It matters what the opportunity is. And who cares? You know, you got to put your ego aside. And at that point in my life, I didn't really feel like being anyone's assistant. But at the same time, the opportunity to learn um, and to be mentored by somebody as as amazing as Michael was, uh, you can't pass that up. That's gold, you can't pass that up. So that's all fun and games and good and was learning and doing my thing. And um, the athletes really taught me so much because they pushed me. They don't take, that was a tough crowd. They didn't take face value. They'd say, who are you? What have you accomplished? What do you know? Why are you telling me to do 10 ones breaststroke? What, you know, whatever. Like it was a really challenging environment. Um, And then the most challenging part came about a year in, long story, that's a whole different story, but long story short, um, the world renowned Dara Torres came to train at our club. And um, that was really (laughs) surreal experience for me because I, she's basically my age and a little older, but same age group. And I used to have posters of her on my locker in high school. I used to want to be her, and then now all of a sudden I'm coaching her, and that was pretty <laughs> surreal. Um, but the lessons that I taught from Michael, he he actually never swam competitively. Um, he was he was a math teacher, and he had a background in music. And the fact that he was able to apply his his knowledge, um, he was very scientific, very fact based coach, but what I've learned, what I learned from him and what I will say till the day I die is that is not enough. You can know your stats. You can be good at writing sets. You can be Mr. Data, but if you can't connect with your athletes, then you're not a good coach. And if you, uh, and the same thing on the flip side, if you're all good and happy with the connection and you really, everybody loves you and you're that's fine. But without the knowledge to back it up and the data and the facts, then you're also not going to be a successful coach. What he taught me is that the best coaches have that combination um, of the, you know, the art and the science of coaching and kind of put it together. So I know I just spent a lot of time talking about them, but, but that's what in a in any career, that's who you learn from the people that you get to be around. And hopefully you're smart enough to learn lessons um, from those people because there's so much out there to be taught. So I was just really lucky. I've had plenty of mentors um, but on the pool deck, those are probably the three that made the biggest impact on me over time.
0: Yeah, That's great. I'm really glad I asked that question. And that's, <laughs> that's some great stories there. Uh, and I think it also is a, it's a very good segue to talking about the setup of the program you run nowadays. You mentioned already you have a 13 and over only program, which is very unique amongst swing teams. And I'm guessing that that experience played a role in why you set that up so i'm really curious to hear you kind of explain a little bit what the, the rationale is behind having the team with that setup and and how you guys make it work because i think a lot of people would be thinking that having that that base that huge 12 and under base is what a lot of people look at to support the the older kids but you set up a team that doesn't have that base and still is vi- viable and and operates so
1: yeah, okay. I don't even know where to start. Uh, I think that, All right, so... Uh, when you coach, I think it's important for any coach... And here I am passing out free advice. You can, people can take it or not. But um, it's important that you coach everything because eventually you will figure out where your strengths lie and where your interests lie. So you need to coach... Uh, baby, you need to coach. Learn to swim, mommy and me. You need to coach eight and unders. You need to coach ten and unders, twelve and unders, high school kids, post grads if you can, college kids if you can, masters. You to really build yourself a well-rounded resume, in my opinion, you need to be able to coach every group. And then what you're going to learn is that some groups you're good at, and some groups you're not. And why? It's because you don't you don't connect in whatever way. So um, I think that building the base in our sport is, is, is critical to our sport. I think that learning to swim and drowning prevention are the foundations upon which our, our sport is built, um, but I also think that if you're going to have a very long career doing what you love, you need to do what you love, and so I have learned that I connect much better with older athletes. I'm not very good at singing. I can't do the wheels on the bus. I don't, you know, like I, I don't have a, a, an unlimited amount of patience. There are certain skills that make you really good um, with the youngers. My assistant coach is excellent with the youngers, and thank goodness she is. And, and um, you know, you either, either have it or you don't. There's a special kind of person um, that gets joy from that. Um, I'm not one of them so for me I when I decided to have a club so my mentor died what do you do when your mentor dies that's a whole different conversation like wow this is the person that's been telling you they're going to help you get your next job and they're going to help you uh, achieve all these things and then they die <laughs> um they're going to they tell you you're going to take over their club for them uh but they forgot to put it in writing so <laughs> you know these kind of conversations. Um, So, all right, you have an opportunity. I said, all right, I have an opportunity now. Again, when bad things happen, you have to try to make an opportunity out of it. And I said, do I want to still coach? Do I want to break? No, I want to still coach. Okay, well, I took a break like six months, but I decided to start a club. So one is you need to identify, you need to coach every group and figure out where your interests are because that's where you're going to be good. If you're not interested in coaching, Master swimmers don't have a master's team, you know, it's pretty simple. Um, But there is a part two to that. And the other part two is that you have to, I say this, I've said this before, so I sound like a broken record, but You have to bloom where you're planted. So wherever you are living, unless you want to move like that's always an option, take a job move, take a job. But if you are where you are, like I love South Florida. I live here. I love it here. I don't want to leave. I love the weather. So what are my options. Um, well, I can go to another club and be someone else's assistant again when I don't really need to do that again, um, or I can start something new. When you start something new, though, you need to understand where where you're planted, where you're living, and you have to take a look at the demographics. So I look around, you think about South Florida. There is so much water down here in South Florida. There are. Our LSC is relatively small, but our area is relatively small. So we have 59 active teams. We have Under just under 5000 athletes, Um, but we're really in four counties. So that's a lot for four counties Uh, pools are close together. There's a lot of 50 meter water, etc. So when I said, Oh, I'll start a club. Okay. Well, how am I going to do that successfully. So you look around and you see where the opportunities are we have a lot of large community-based swim teams with a lot of coaches that are extremely impressive and have been doing this for a very long time. We're talking lifers. We're talking 65 years old. They've been coaching their same club for 40 years, doing an amazing job of it, producing athletes of all levels and you know, big teams and whatnot. So how am I going to compete with that? I'm not. I'm not going to compete with that. So you look at the... Um, where you are you look at you combine what you love to do with where your opportunities are in south florida at the time not now at the time our sectional competition for example was the slowest in the country why were our sectionals the slowest in the country when we have all this water and all these teams and all these swimmers why why we're florida for crying out loud um why do we have you know why are we leading the country in Olympic trial qualifiers or national qualifiers? Um, what, what is going on down here? And so I said, all right, well, here's an opportunity. I like to work with older athletes. And I think there's a need in our area uh, to do that. So I started the team that way. 15 and older was how I started. People said I was crazy. Um, there's somebody that no longer works at USA. So many told me I would be hated. Those were the exact words. You're going to be hated. I said, why am I going to be hated? Because because you're going to steal everyone's swimmers. No, you're No, you're not. No, you're not. I'm a firm believer in developing my own athletes. Okay? I firmly believe that. I'm not a recruiter. I think recruiting is rather pathetic. Now, not for college. That's a different story. But within the club swimming world, if you need to recruit, then you have no belief in your own coaching ability and your own skills to run a program. I find it. Reprehensible, and I find it pathetic. And I don't do it. I probably could have a different kind of a team if I did, but I won't do that. You want to come to my team? I actually make it rather difficult to get on my team because you need to really want to be there. Um, but so people thought at first; they thought I was nuts, um, literally nuts, shaking their head. This girl's crazy. And then it was, well, a girl can't coach. That was part a little bit of went on too. And then it was. Uh, then we got to we got through the first year. And everyone went, oh, oh, well, that's interesting. Then we got to year three, which is the magic year when you're doing a club. Year three is the make or break. You're either in it or out of it. You're either completely not profitable whatever. Uh, well, we made it through year three, and we did a little bit better than breaking even. And then we made it to year five, and now we're, we're about to uh, – we're in year nine right now. So um, – you know, almost a decade later, we're, we're still around. And now the conversation has changed from people shaking their heads to that 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 person is crazy. They're just out of their mind. This is this is stupidest idea I ever heard to me doing talks around the country and even internationally on how to have a business model that works for you and make it work. And I think now in pandemic land, we might see some more of this because um, I chose this. There it's not been an easy road, but to have a small team is sometimes perceived as a failure. I have a small team by design. I don't want a bigger team. I focus on who I want to focus on. Now I said I started with 15 and older's, um, and I soon learned that wasn't smart. I went to 13 and older after that, because you do have to develop your athletes, and 15 is a little bit too late in my uh, opinion. That might not be the truth for everybody, but for me, uh, 13 is fine though. How many athletes, I mean, Josh Davis started, joined his first team at 13, ended up with what, five Olympic medals 10 years later. 13 is not too old. So where I'm, the the conclusion that I'm trying to get to here is that um, there are so many swimmers in the world that don't know their swimmers yet. And that is what we do. So we have this very unique team that doesn't really fit the mold and we address sort of the entry point of the sport and almost the exit point of the sport. So I have a pretty significant post-grad or professional using quotes, professional group. Um, that is who I connect with the best. I like to be an athlete's last coach. I like to take them on that final journey, whether it leads to the Olympic games or to world championships, or even just to their country's national championships. That is what drives me like that is the athlete I love to work with. Um, but I also love another kind of athlete, and those are the little high school swimmers that always wanted to be on a swim team, but maybe they were too afraid. Um, we have a lot of big, wonderful teams around here. They're a little intimidating. There's often the overlooked athlete. So basically that 13 to 18-year-old athlete um, who is not the star of their high school team and is not in the top group. On a, If they were on a different club team, they would not be in the top group, but they deserve a good experience in this sport. They deserve it too. They might not be um, going to the Olympics or going to a, a, an NCAA division one uh, program on a scholarship, but they deserve to be part of a swim team, um, a real swim team, one that takes it seriously and trains and whatever. And so my team has evolved. So I started with this fantasy 15 and older, which I'm just going to do postgrads and uh, but I learned no. I have a, I have a service to do for my community too, and I want to serve those athletes. So we serve basically the en- the entry point to the sport, but you have to be 13 because you can enter the sport at 13, uh, or and later your exit point. And what if you look at the research? 13 is a magic age in youth sports, and I think we're going to see that divide even more now after the pandemic. Uh, kids. Who have been I don't know I did taekwondo from when I'm eight and I loved it and I went to taekwondo nationals and I'm an age group national champion which makes me laugh off my seats but um, that is fine and then guess what you're 11 12 13 you're bored now and you want a new sport so why can't swimming be your new sport so uh, in terms of living and blooming where you're planted I needed a business model that worked for me because this is a lot of work I'm not going to do it unless I love it but I also needed a business model that worked within my community and I saw a need so people can look into their own communities and see where the need is in our community we have the 8 to 18 year old club standard club swimmer is well serviced there are some amazing programs out there to service them what wasn't being serviced postgrads what else, who else wasn't being serviced those uh, maybe recreational or rec league swimmers or seasonal swimmers that want something more, but they're not sure what to do. And those people are underserved. They remain underserviced in our area. And so I decided to create something that would do something to help those two areas. So that's a pretty long explanation. Sorry, I get excited talking. No, it. no,
0: that, that's good. And, and I think, again, it's a unique model and, and you're very excited about, about why you set it up. And I. so that's actually pretty good. For, uh, again, I'm, I'm really glad I asked that, that question <laughs> and, and thank you for the long answer. Uh, I think the other thing that comes through here is, and again, we mentioned you have a very active role in governance of the sport uh, and you're, you're active in your local swim committee in the RLSC, you're a member of the USA Swimming Board of Directors and you're also a member of the Ask Board of Directors, is that correct? So how, I guess my first question on that is how did all those come about and you don't have to be specific but like how or why did you start getting involved with governance and I, maybe tied to that one thing that I, that I like to ask is Uh, I think more coaches should be involved in governance. I think that's one of the things that is important for the sport. So would you have any uh, advice for people to get involved or how to start getting involved or things like that?
1: Okay. So, yeah, Um, there's a saying that does not apply for me, but it's the standard saying, first you get angry, then you get involved. So a lot of people will get involved in governance because they think there's something wrong or there's a problem that they have to fix. That is legitimate, that's totally legitimate. In my case, it was first you get bored and then you get involved. So I, you know, you can probably hopefully hear my passion. I love coaching, I live for coaching. But, you know, I like to have new challenges, I like new things, bring me, bring me something else, puts another brick wall up for me to deal with, you know. And I was getting a little bored and this was back in the Coral Springs days when I was Michael's assistant. And um, I don't know, Michael was just such a special coach, and success just seemed to come without any effort. And we knew that there was effort. And obviously, it's it's a magical combination of the, the athletes and their work ethic and obviously our season planning and our coaching style and the meets we chose to go to. And, but it just – it was like, of course, that one just broke an American record. And, of course, we just – took high point at, at the, at the, back then they were called Grand Prix meets or like, of course, you know, like, and I thought it can't be this easy. And we all know it's not that easy. It was, <laughs> it was a 50 year career that he spent building this, you know, this was all Michael This, you know, so he made it look easy, but, but as an assistant, I thought, okay, like, what el- what else can I do? Like, and I remember in, in local, he was not one for governance, Michael Lober, and he would say, no, you're not doing that. You're not going to get involved in that. That's uh. And uh, he, he really did not encourage any involvement at the local LSC level. But again, I got bored. First, you get bored, at least for me. Some people get angry. I got bored. And I started looking for some opportunities for learning. Um, and that is where ASCA came in and changed my life in many ways, because that, at that time, they were the only game in town. They were the only um, sort of professional development avenue for coaches. So I have the best case scenario in the whole world. I'm with one of the best coaches in the world on the deck all day, every day. I mean, what better education could I have? None from a practical perspective. But from a, a, let's call it a book learning perspective, or, or you know, something on paper, you know, my father was a college professor, my mother was a librarian, so I'm into the academics, I can't help it. And so I I needed some sort of certification or some sort of thing. So I got involved with ASCA, started taking their courses, and started learning more. Um, And then I discovered a a fellowship program it was called it's, it's still in existence it's in its 20th year it's the ask a fellows program and I applied to that program I actually didn't get it I was very disappointed which is a good lesson about perseverance and so I applied again the following year and I got the fellowship and that was an amazing experience because what I learned as part of that fellows program was that there is a world outside of my own pool deck, even though the pool deck that I was on was pretty amazing. You know, pretty, not everybody gets lucky enough to get that experience, but uh, it taught me that there is a world and that I can be part of the greater world of what goes on in our sport. So on the pool deck, I had, I, everyone on our team, we had a great impact on our athletes and how we were performing. But where was our impact on the world of swimming beyond so and so got a medal and this one got a medal and this one didn't and whatever? But being part of an of a fellowship like that um, was an eye opener. And what I learned, if I had to take away one lesson that I learned from doing that, that was back in two thousand maybe nine, I guess eight or nine, um, was that get involved in the sport. And the first place to get involved is your local governance. You have to get involved there first. So you don't just become a member of the USA Swimming Board. You don't just become a whatever. You have to learn how governance works um, and start local. So I did. So I started going to my LSC meetings. I sat in the corner, I was too scared to talk. Uh, I had a a, cut to a few years later, uh, had a new team. Somebody nominated me to be on the board. Um, I think one of your, one of the questions that I think you had sent me in a prep was like, what is one of the, I guess, highlights of your career or whatever. But for me, one of the strongest, most powerful moments I had as a, as a coach was being nominated and then elected to my LSC board. I was an at-large member uh, because I knew then that I had the, the respect of some of my peers. And that means more to me than anything else. And uh, the opportunity to be able to understand what's going on at the sport, at the local, and then later at the national level, makes me even more passionate about being a coach because I know that what I'm doing on the deck has, has a real impact. Beyond, yes, we're making better people. Yes, we're raising kids. We're, that is the most important. But in addition, we are, we are shaping our sport for years to come. Like what we're doing today and even now in pandemic land, what we're doing is going to shape this sport. So it was more, so this Ask a Fellowship is what opened my eyes. But I would encourage any coach, go to your LSC meetings, um, sit there. You don't have to be on the board. Just sit there. And you might go, oh, I hate this. I'm not doing this. Okay, then don't do it. Um, but there's so many ways to help the sport. And governance is one of one of the most important ways. Because if you're involved in governance, then you have a say. And I want to say in what I'm, I'm devoting my life to this sport, then I want to say in how it's going. So that for me was my reason, my personal reason, like if I'm going to give hundred hours a week to this, then I want to say it. So it started, it started there and, and for everyone, it needs to start there. So if you're, a, if you're a rec league coach, it guess what? It's run by a board. If you're a club coach, guess what? It's run by your LSC board. There's places you can go, and if you're nervous, you can just go sit there and just watch the process. It's a fast, it is like watching our democracy in action, and it's fascinating. Um, so, anyway, I don't know if that answered yeah. your question.
0: It does, and I think it's, uh, I'll just echo that it might seem boring at first. I think some of those meetings, and especially if you're going to like uh, LSC meetings, usually there's committee meetings, and then the technical planning committee kind of pretty much just oversees what the other age group and senior committee did, and then the board meets separately, yeah. and then the house, and they might seem a little repetitive at times, but I think the, the ultimate lesson there is coaches have a very unique perspective of what the long-term needs of the sport and the athletes are. And if coaches don't get involved and help run the sport, somebody else will. And those people are all very well-intentioned, but they don't have the perspective that the coaches need. And so I think that that's what's important important when I talk to coaches about this, and I talk to somebody else that's involved in governance. I think that, uh, and sometimes governance is frustrating too. I mean, let's not let's not kid ourselves here. So sometimes it's boring, sometimes it's frustrating. But I think that if coaches are not involved, that it eventually becomes even more frustrating because somebody else is running the sport, and and usually those people just don't have the same the same perspective that the coaches. Have. Well.
1: So, two things I want to say about that. first thing is a hundred thousand million percent you're so right because uh we we coaches are are living this every day to me, and I've said this to you, but to me, you are a coach if your reputation and your livelihood depend on how you do. you are not a coach I mean you are i don't want to put it you, you have a connection to swimming, and that's wonderful if you maybe coached one season or I was an, I was an assistant for a season in my kids summer league. And yeah. Okay. So you understand the environment, but you don't understand your life or death depends on your program or how you're doing. Your salary depends on it. And most importantly, your reputation and your credibility depends on if you're good or not. And to me, that intimate, like understanding and, and, um, I guess, buy-in to the sport can only be found from coaches. Um, There are so many people that contribute in such an important way. Obviously athletes are number one. Without athletes, we have nothing. Without our officials, we have nothing. Without our volunteers, we can't do it because we're only human. We can only do one thing at a time. So, uh, but at the end of the day, the coaches are the ones that, that get it, but they're also probably the ones that care the most. Um, So I would say that what I would, uh, I don't know if this is typical for a podcast, but I'll just flip the tables for a minute because for those that don't know, Lucas is on his LSC board. Um, <laughs> and I, I want to hear about how you did that because I think that's important to too.
0: Uh <laughs> Not typical, but I'm, I'm, yeah, no, I'm, I'm happy to do it. Uh, well, so first of all, I guess when I first got involved in, in coaching in Iowa, I already was uh, very quickly became part of the board. And I think in my case, partly because I'm very opinionated and I don't, don't hold my opinions to myself and anybody that knows me will vouch for that. So there I got I got involved with the board already, but I had a quick passage through the LSE and therefore to the board. When I got in Georgia, uh, my first involvement was getting onto the age group committee. So I wasn't on the board, I was on the committee. And uh, at the time, some things needed to be done and for age group me it was very large and so the, the cuts, the start time standards need to be recalculated and everybody understood that, but nobody, it's a very, very time consuming process and nobody wants to get kind of their hands there Yeah, And I did and, and eventually started like doing a lot of the, the day-to-day work of the committee. Uh, and, and the other thing too that I feel is, I think that the way the LSE set up affects my day-to-day and affects the way my swimmers uh, will, will experience the sport. And so that's why I decided that it was to me a good investment of my time, even though I can say, no, I just want to coach. I want to really focus on my kids. I want to focus on the kids that I'm, I'm working with every day. I think that the time that I am volunteering to help run the sport, it's been impacting my swimmers beneficially as well. And so that's kind of what, how I did and eventually uh, when when that position for the age group uh, chair vacated, my name was put on the ballot and it was, that, that's how I got on the board. Uh, my, I already served two terms and the, the election was supposed to be in April, but with this we haven't had a house yet, so I'm, I'm like stuck with the board and I had, I had a couple couple comments already like, come on guys, it's time for me to get off here. Uh, which again, I think uh, some people talk to me about like, why don't you get another position? And I, I think that I will eventually get back on the board. But at the same time, I'm, I'm also I've, I've done four years on the board, and I think it's good for everybody that I rotated out, and we get somebody in, somebody else in, to have more people involved. So again, I think that that's kind of the story on my end, and I'll, I will very likely at one point be back on the board uh, in a different position. But that's how I, that's how I got involved, and that's how I year. And in this case, that's why I'm still on the board.
1: (laughs) That's funny. Well, I appreciate that. And I heard three important lessons from that that, so you can tell me if I heard you right or wrong. But first thing is something I've totally forgot to point out is that you don't have to go straight to your board. You can be on a committee, especially with the new board structure, um, new governance structures. I know in the gold coast, we just passed new bylaws, which um, myself and three other coaches wrote and it, we're depending more and more on committees because especially if you're lsc um and george is a little bit similar and and gold coast too and the gold coast were mostly made of coaches which means we have to balance um, what lucas was saying about volunteering our time um, and also managing and taking care of our own teams and our own athletes so we're all volunteers and we don't have a lot of time and so now um committees become more and more important but they're also a great stepping stone. You don't need to be on the board. All you have to do is volunteer and go, hey, I'll help with that if you're willing to. And that brings me to my next point. I was taking notes Lucas, when you were talking um, about do the work. So if you're someone, I love it. You love it too. Just put me in there and let me do some work. Just give me something to work on. Um, If you're one of those people, then you should be involved in governance because um, if you want to get in there and and feel what it feels like to be part of the process, then you're going to have to get in there and do the work. And then the last point is extremely powerful, and I'm going to say it, and I love that you said it, and I haven't ever said it publicly, but it's true, and I feel this way, um, and I think the best boards, like Lucas said, I'm, I'm in and out. I'll be back on the board sometime, but I think it's important to keep our, our leadership groups fresh, with fresh ideas, um, and not getting people stuck in their little area of expertise and and get in and out, on the board, off the board, on the board or in a new position or something like that. Um, In fact, in USA Swimming with the new governance structure of the USA Swimming Board, which is now in its, I guess, third year?
0: Third year, I think, yeah.
1: Third year. Um, That, we're starting to see it. Uh, We started to see it last election. This election, not as much. Next election is gonna be major with they tried to stagger uh the elections on the board and there's term limits so that people um to keep you want to be one and done you want to go in you want like my own my own you know i want to go in do as much work as i can help as many people as i can represent our membership and then get out i don't want to be on the Believe me, I do not want to be on the board for my whole life because it's a lot of work and it's, it's worth it. Every minute is worth it, but it's a lot of extra time. And you want people that are fresh and interested and not tired. And so, uh, Lucas, what you said is important and kind of brings me to the next thing, because you were talking about these different roles I have in governance. Um, and some I've had for longer, longer than most than some. And then some I've had for a short time but this concept of getting in and out is really um, important. There's also, depending on what group you're part of, like we have a guy, um, his name is Coach Kavanaugh. I love him, he's a hero um, of mine and of many, and he's in our Gold Coast. Um, he's our treasurer, and he he's sort of uh, an example of the opposition of the in and out theory. He is the historian, he is the conscience, he's the ethical, Uh, touchstone of our LSC. When we have a question about how it got, how is it like this? How did it get to be like this? Uh, Coach Kavanaugh will say, well, back in the 80s, we did this, this, and this. Um, He's got a a unique ability to um, roll with the times and move forward and do cool things, but also has that eye of history. So I do think we need to keep our historians around because they will help us not make the same mistake twice. You know, um, like history repeats itself if we don't learn the lessons. So there's that. But in general, I believe in this in and out idea of uh, in and out. So um, I've been on the ASCA board a, a couple years, and that has been a wonderful experience in itself. That was my first board that I was on that was, um, I guess, a larger or a national board. Um, and in general, there's not a whole lot of, I guess, female representation in, historically. And I have had an amazing experience. I, I felt that my voice was just as loud as everybody else's. I always felt respected and heard. Um, and uh, it really taught me about governance and how, you know, Robert's rules and how things are done and how to operate at, on a larger level. Um, and then I've been involved in, a, it's called FHSAA. It's Florida State High School Athletic Association. I've been uh, on their coaches advisory board. I've chaired that board. And that, you know, was completely different. So I think I guess where I'm going with this is that um, I've I've served in some governance roles in swimming, but it might be really cool for me or for others to think about governance roles outside of swimming. So the FHSAA is still swimming, but it's, uh, you know, it encompasses other sports. So I think that that's it gave me a broader view so then I could come back to my little sport and then talk about what's going on elsewhere. So that's great. That's been a cool experience too.
0: All right. Yeah. Again, very glad we went, went down that hole. I think that a lot of uh, good and important information for coaches to hear out there uh, mm-hmm. in the role of governance and what the coaches can play on governance. Uh, trying to segue here. Not sure if it's a good segue. I'm going to go with it <laughs> anyway, but <laughs> if you could uh, go back in time, say to your starting career as a coach and give yourself some advice, what would that be?
1: Um, there's a song from the eighties and I'm singing it in my head. I will not sing it for you because you don't <laughs> want to hear that. I'm, t- I, I got to look it up. I don't know who it's by. It's, it's running through my mind, but it, I want to say aha, but I'm, I don't think so. But the, the lyrics go, you don't have to live your life in one day. That was the lyrics in the song. Um, and then something about, you'll throw it. You can Google it. I see you're going to here. Will you Google that, please? I want to talk. I mean, yeah. You go to lyrics.com, it'll tell you. So, um, but that's, there's a lot of advice. I mean, I make mistakes every day. I think the key is recognizing when you have a learning moment, when you have a learning opportunity, because, you know, we all fail every day. And if you can learn from it, if you can go, wow, I screwed that up. Good. All right. Well, what did I... What can I learn? How can I be better the next time? I think young, and I use the word young, not in terms of chronological age. When I refer to a young coach, I refer to a newer coach. Because I spent 10 years, you know, working in corporate America, you know, the very cutthroat world of fashion, I I kind of always felt at a little bit of a disadvantage. So yes, I've coached my whole life on the side. But when I chose to make it a full-time gig when I chose to become a quote swimming coach for my profession I was probably maybe at that point a decade older than my peers and that was hard for me uh, because I had a lot of experience that served me very well uh, but it wasn't all always the experience that was recognized within our industry like people like how long have you been coaching well, full-time only about two years. Oh, okay. But since then I ran a $30 million business and and started an international division of a clothing company. Like what have you done? Do you know what I mean? So, <laughs> it's, so that, that was a bit challenging. And so I had this sense of urgency, which I still have. And some people call it a hustle. Um, I like to think I have a hustle too, because I think you have to you moving and shaking, but, but this don't have to live your life in one day. Like you didn't, I didn't have to catch up to 10 years of coaching in a year, you know? And so that idea of, um, so it's one thing to have ambition and to have drive and have hustle and you have to have all that, or you're not going to be a great coach, but, um, but you don't have to do it all today. And that's what I'm you said what advice as a starting coach is the same advice I would give myself today, 30 years later is a career is built in small little increments over time. And you should take a moment to celebrate something that happened that you created. That's good for you. Take a little minute and, and think about it, but don't rest on it for too long. So I always tell myself, okay, rest on your laurels for a short time. And then now what have you done lately? Because like I said, in the beginning of our interview, you're only as good as your latest accomplishment. So if you if you had somebody, you know, place top five at world championships in 2009, that's great. That was a decade ago. What did you do last year? What did you do two years ago? What did you do in this quad? You know, so um, as coaches, we know that sometimes we're limited by who walks on our pool deck. That is a real thing. And we know that for so many of our of our colleagues who have gotten so many accolades and they deserve them. So not to take that away from them, there are equally as many fantastic and amazing coaches that might not have had the pure luck to have somebody with exorbitant talent show up right one day. Um, or so so everybody's. I guess the message there is everybody's career looks different and the yardstick while we judge one person can't be the same yardstick with which we judge another person. So guess what? You got to be happy for yourself. You got to create your own success. You have to define what it means for you. Um, and I still tell, it's the same advice I gave myself on day one. I'm giving myself on day, whatever million is because, um, it's true. So, so don't try to live your life in one day. Your career takes a long time. Take a minute to smell those roses and go, wow, that was a great season. Or Wow, that was a great athlete. Or wow, it's nice to get the coach of the year award or whatever you get. Um, And then you just move on and you just, you know, it's like those Oscar winners and you think they're lying, but they're like, well, you know, it's just enough to be nominated. It's not about winning the award, but it's actually true. Like to be able to be part of your community and contribute to it. I guess for me, that's how I define success. And you know this is a long career and we're going to have ups and downs and so i don't have to live my life in one day and so i don't know if you figured out who sang that song did you
0: i i googled it but i if i find it i'll make sure when i post the show notes i will uh, put a link to the to the video but okay. uh, i really like uh, what you said and in the same uh, idea there one thing i can't remember where i heard this first but uh, it is that uh, people tend to Overestimate what they can do in one day. Yes, and underestimate what they can do in one year.
1: Yeah, I like and that. And that is
0: that. Yeah, and I, I that's something that I try to tell my kids too. So, like, as an athlete, it's true as well. You, we tend to overestimate how much can be accomplished today or in this workout uh, or today as as a coach, but really underestimate how much can be done in one year of just steady, steady progress. Uh, and I think that's a great one. It kind of goes along the same lines of what you're saying. You don't have to live your life in one day. You don't have to to live the season in one day. You have, like, just think about what happens if you really put in the work day after day after day. Just consistency over uh, little small moments of uh,
1: of excellence. Right. Okay. So I found it. It's right. Howard. It's Howard Jones.
0: Howard Jones. I will definitely uh, go ahead and also put a put a link to it uh, on the to the video on the show notes here in case you're wondering about the
1: song. Yeah, he uh, says, "Don't try to live your life in one day. Don't go speed your time away." So that when I feel rushed, I that song runs through my head.
0: <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right. Uh, if you had to give a presentation on a topic or actually the other idea if you were to like, say, teach a college class on a topic other than swimming. And I guess in your case, I'm also going to say all other than fashion since you already uh, had a, a career in fashion. Okay. Uh, what, what would that topic be? What would, you, what would you pick?
1: Okay. Well, I've already taught a college class for um, Lynn University, which is in Boca Raton. They asked me to come and participate in their, um, this series about uh, the fashion industry. So I had to do a whole class on retail math, which is slightly different than real math. It's more dollars and cents and margins and stuff. Um, I give a lot of presentations. Um, and since I'm not allowed to answer your question, but I still want to tell you what my first presentation ever was. It was called 40 Ways to Tie a Scarf. And it was in Chattanooga, Tennessee. <laughs> yeah, that was my first presentation that, in a, in my career. Um, that was you know a job. But um, so you're saying what if I had to give a presentation on anything?
0: Yeah, and I guess the the idea behind the question is talk about something other than what we do on a day to day basis with swimming, like or other interests that you have. The question that kind of goes with it, if you have any any hobbies outside of swimming as well. Huh,
1: no. Uh, <laughs> Okay. So, um, all right. I I see where you're going. Well, because I guess personally, I wouldn't feel comfortable giving a presentation about something I didn't know about. Um, and I only know about swimming and maybe a little about life. I guess I know a little bit about life. Um, I understand I'm a good advice giver. I'm told, um, my hobbies outside of swimming are few, except I love to read. So I read, um, I I think it's because my mom was a librarian. I I love to read. I mean reading is my jam, but I'm a fast reader. So I don't run very fast and I definitely don't swim very fast these days. And I actually don't do anything that fast. Um, I'm I'm like a take your time guy. I should have been I should I should I should start a team in the Caribbean because we always joke about Caribbean time. I have a lot of Caribbean athletes on my team. Uh, time is fluid and time is also fluid for me. So I'm pretty slow, but I'm a fast reader. I read, I basically read a book a day, which people think is crazy, but I read for pleasure. So I try to read for, you know, self-improvement and education. You should see my, I have a Kindle and all of these books that I'm constantly downloading. I think I'm going to become a better whatever be- better manager, be a better this, do a be- whatever. I end up reading for pleasure 95% of the time. Um, so I guess if I had to pick like an interest outside of swimming, it would be reading. I, I do deep dives into a genre or with an author and I just go. Um, problem is I don't get a lot of sleep because I like to stay up late reading. Um, I don't know, that's pretty boring to some people, but that's really my... Uh,
0: no, I mean, not. it's funny because uh, one of the questions that I... Ask most people, and I kind of skipped the, that one, but now I'm going to go back to it. Oh,
1: don't go um, back. I know yes. what you're going to ask me.
0: <laughs> I mean, if, any books that you would like to recommend? And this can be, it's, I like reading a lot. I'm actually a very slow reader, but I like reading a lot as well. And I like fiction, and I very much like nonfiction, and I like books that have to do with swimming and books that have to do with. Things that are not directly swimming related, but but I think helped a lot, such as psychology or uh, culture building or things like that. So I'm very into all those genres. So kind of going back, do you have any books that you would recommend or do you have to like, books that you touched on lately that you think people should should get there? And if you have fiction books as well, by all means, go ahead and mention those.
1: Well, okay. So I might have to like send you an email with a supplement to that because I don't know if if you remember, but I, I, my memory is awful. I finished a book last night. I've already forgotten the title. So that <laughs> might give you an idea of, uh, I can't remember that kind of thing. Um, I, there are so many books. I think our world grows through books and I think that, uh, especially now when we can't travel, um, books are going to be a great escape for p- hopefully more people will discover books that, uh, right. never like never before. Um, Uh, Right now I'm into the, every couple years I go through this World War II sort of um, era, and I think right now World War II genre is resonating with me because um, of what that generation went through, whether you were, um, you know, a Holocaust survivor or non-survivor, if you were a victim, or if you were a soldier on any side of the struggle, or if you were a family member that was starving, if you, you know, the the things that people went through in the world, similar to what we're going through. No, it's not similar. A world war is not similar to a pandemic. They're different. But the fact that it's affecting almost everybody in the world is, is the similarity. And I draw a lot of inspiration from Maybe it's morbid and weird. I don't know. But uh, reading about their struggles and what people went through inspires me to be stronger. So right now, uh, I think subconsciously, I'm back on my World War II kick. I get on it every couple of years, and I just read every- it. Um, I prefer nonfiction when it comes to that, obviously, or maybe historical fiction, where which is rooted in fact, but maybe there's a little story that isn't... Um, yeah. but I tend to my reading tends to reflect what's going on so interestingly enough I read a lot of swimming books I love a swimming book and I learn so much from from reading swimming books by by athletes by coaches I have not read a swimming book during this pandemic I wonder why I don't know why because I as I said I think um uh I don't know I think subconsciously whatever I select to read is giving me an escape from my real life and so um but a funny story, or maybe it's not funny, maybe it is strange, but um, I was reading a book called The China Pandemic <laughs> when, um, in March, <laughs> end of February, beginning of March. Uh, so then um, as this all unfolded, I did go down a, a, an apocalyptic, post-apocalyptic fiction road, and I started reading a bunch of stuff like that. But um, yeah, I I have... <clears throat> Like I said, I read approximately 300 to 350 books a year. I'm not exaggerating. And I can't remember one title right now because now you put me on the spot and now, I, now I'm nervous and I can't no, remember. No, that's all
0: right. Uh, so what, <laughs> but what I we're can gonna, send you
1: a list if you want. Yes, yeah, so what I mean. we're
0: going to do is you're going to send me a list and that way if people want to get a couple uh, suggestions of books from you, they got to go to the show notes. And, yeah, and I'm, to I'm gonna easy. have I'm gonna have those those linked there. Make it hard um, so for people. That's very good. Yes, yeah, I will. I promise.
1: I'll send you a good list. The swimming. I'll send you a list of swimming books that I love, and then maybe one or two that. Uh,
0: yes, that, uh, Yes. Uh, have you do you remember a book called Just because you mentioned World War II and it's a book I read last year, and it's uh, I believe it's more historical fiction on World War II called City of Thieves.
1: Oh yeah, I read it. I loved it. Fantastic. One of my
0: yeah. Yeah. It's a great book. Yes. So you're going to go ahead and put that one out on there. When you mentioned World War II and historical fiction, that one came to mind. It's a, I read a couple of great books last year and that was like, yeah, one of my favorite books of all time.
1: Yeah. I loved that book too. And it reminds me of, there's a book that's similar to that called Sarah's Key, um, which is also historical fiction. Don't ask me who wrote it, but I, I loved that too. And I think I read City of Thieves and then af- right after that I read Sarah's Key and I loved both.
0: Okay. Yeah, I gotta look into Sarah Ski then. But yeah, so uh, if people want to get more of that list, uh, just go to the show notes.
1: Yeah, and the two books that about the pandemic that I read, if if you're into if you're into like post-apocalyptic, you know, then this book called The China Pandemic was really good. Honestly, I think it's a trilogy. <clears throat> But nonfiction-wise, there is a book called *The Hot Zone* by Richard Preston, which I did just finish about—I don't know—I like went about two weeks ago, and that sticks in my mind um, because uh, it was about the Ebola crisis, and and it's a, it's it's a nonfiction, but it's sometimes these nonfiction books are uh, less riveting, but that one was was like grabbed you and got you, and um, I secretly thought when we were struggling with Ebola the second time, which was like 2014. So I guess it was, I don't remember now, maybe 2002 or three or something was the first time the Ebola virus like became clear and then it sort of went away, didn't yeah. go away, it went out of our consciousness. And then we had, um, <clears throat> we had that issue in, and this book was fascinating. Uh, there was an issue in Northern Virginia and I see it, my memory's so bad, I just read the book, I already forgot the name of the town, but they had some monkeys that were brought, were brought over and as a regular, it's probably still going on, and they do testing, and they source these monkeys um, overseas, and, and they came with they came with Ebola uh, Reston, Reston, Virginia. So there was the Ebola Zaire, which is the most deadly, and then there was the Ebola Reston, and it was the first time um, a deadly disease, like the... the, the uh, the whatever you call it death rate or whatever was like 95 percent, and it came to our country and it was how and the books about how the military handled it and how the scientists handle it and it was just fascinating so if, if you're if you're into pandemic reading read the hot zone for sure um and if you're into escapism then don't read it
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> all
0: right okay so just a couple more things i'd like to talk about before you kind of uh out here but a couple of things that I really want to make sure we cover going back to uh, more swimming related how do you go about hiring assistant coaches this is a topic that I have tried to ask people I'm talking to and because when I first started talking actually I think one of the first people I talked about this before I started the podcast was Alexis again and we mentioned like wow it's sometimes it's really hard to find assistant coaches, it's really hard to find good people to bring on to, to your team So, do you have any uh, particular strategy you use when you are looking for assistant coaches?
1: Okay, so I think the challenge is much bigger. And it's a different conversation. We should probably save it for another time. But it's um, we need to make coaching a legitimate profession. We need to be paid better. We need to be um, well respected. Um, We are teachers. We are teachers. That is what we are. And we're not, and we're skilled teachers. So, it, you know, the way, the way the profession has evolved and we all know the history, you know, it was like, you know, the lifeguard at the pool started giving somebody a tip or a pointer and, Oh, well that worked. And then all of a sudden there's sort of creating an industry around swim coaches, but to be a great coach in any sport, you need to know your X's and O's of the sport. You need to understand the sport. You need to understand how to operate within the sport. You need to understand the governance structure and the politics around it. You need to understand how to, connect with your athletes and get the most out of them. So you are a scientist, a manager, you're a life coach. There are so many skills. Oh, you're a safety person. You know, like I could go on, but at the crux of the finding a good assistant problem is the fact that um, we, we need to do more to attract better people to our profession. Not that the people in our profession are bad, but we wanna, keep, we wanna make it attractive to be a swim coach so that you wanna stay in it. So like we were talking about the membership numbers and stuff, you know, people drop in and out of the sport, why? Because there's a high burnout rate, there's a high divorce rate amongst coaches. Um, And again, with this pandemic, maybe this is an opportunity to rethink um, how we live our lives and and our profession, because to get the best people, we need to pay more, we'd offer a better career path, we need to um, offer a better quality of life. And that doesn't mean work less hard or work less, but there's gotta be a way to attract the best and the brightest um, and to keep them. So we can, we get the best and the brightest because what is what's more exciting than an Olympic sport? I mean, who wouldn't want to work, but very quickly people go, huh? Wow. A lot of hours, not a lot of money, not a lot of gratitude, not a lot of accolades, not a lot of um, weekends and nights available to me and my family. Hmm. I want to do this. So we have to be better. So, but in the meantime, hiring assistants, um, I look back to when Michael Loberg hired me and he didn't know me and he called me out of the blue. And I was, like I said, he had to really convince me. I was not interested. And he said, just come meet with me later. I said, listen, you know, you want me to coach your Olympic swimmers? Like what, what? Skills? Do I possibly Let's be honest. You know, like I'm a head high school coach. Like, what am I? How am I going to go coach like multiple Olympic medalists? What What makes me qualified? And he said, "You don't need to be qualified." He said, "You need to fit with me." And he said, "I will teach you everything you need to know." And I can't tell you how many times I have said that to assistant coaches that I have hired. It's specifically the one I most recently hired. I will teach you what you need to know in the water. I will teach you. If I am assessing you right now to see if you have chemistry with my athletes, if the foundations of my program resonate with you as a human being, if what we do is something you believe in and want to do, and if it, so, it's it's about the intangibles, which is much harder um, in terms of advice giving to other coaches and stuff. And um, you know, does it feel right? And are they smart enough that you can teach them what they need to know? So I had, when I first started the team, I was alone. And you know, it was a new team, kind of interesting, and I had a lot of applicants for assistant coaches. And I turned them all down because there was one that I was waiting for. So I coached by myself, struggled a lot for almost a year, um, and waited for my longtime assistant who has recently moved on. But uh, his name was Rory, and he swam for me in high school, when he was in high school. And so I knew him for a very long time as an athlete. He went away, he went to South Carolina for college, swam there, and then returned to the area to get his advanced degree. And I waited for him. Why? Because he was the right fit. I kn- we, we were counterparts to each other. We think very differently. But I knew that, I just knew he would be the right fit for us. And I waited and I struggled and, and coached all alone and it was exhausting. But you got to wait for the right person. So an assistant, I guess the point I'm making is that an assistant coach is not a warm body. You don't want to hire a warm body. And I don't really care what your resume says. If I need to, I need to make sure that you're, you know, on paper, you can look however you want. Uh, I need to know that I usually put the assistants up with, you know, have, have them run a practice with me, see how the athletes react to them. I'm, I, I'm pretty good at reading people. I tend to maybe give the benefit of the doubt too much, but, but for the most part, as I've gotten older and jaded, now I can see a little more clearly. And (laughs) I hire to um, I hire to the intangibles. So um, my assistant coach, Rory, who's become a very close friend and wonderful. And um, you know, we coached together for eight or nine years and he actually just moved on last month and he had a dream. He and his wife, they got married this fall. And they had a dream, which I knew about because we have a close relationship. We are running essentially running a small team together. He had a dream of moving out west. And I said, Well, I can't pay you a whole lot, but I can help your dream happen. Like, I can give you the tools to be successful. Um, we do a, that's the other thing. You, have, you know, I talked about how we, we don't pay much in this industry, and um, you know, it's a hard, pretty challenging work environment. But if you have something to offer, Then offer that. So in my case, I, we spend a lot of our budget on coach education. I feel, I I feel like just as it's my responsibility to make better athletes, I need to make, I need to make good coaches too. Like that's the other product. That's the output of our program. So uh, we spend a lot of money. We spend a lot of time. And so assistants that tend to come to our program, um, they know that they know that what they won't get in dollars, they're going to get in tools and intangibles that's gonna, that are gonna hopefully take them forward. So what do I look for? How do I hire? Um, you need to be, you can't, you can't have never been on a pull deck. I need a little bit of coaching experience, but I can teach you because the other part that I wanna mention is that, um, okay, I hired, we started, I think I mentioned our team was 13 and older or 15 and older and then we added a 13 and older group. We needed a coach. Sometimes for people that are new to the sport at the time, I maybe at the time, definitely not now, but at the time I looked a lot younger than I was. And so people would, that didn't know me would come and think, well, this girl's like five years old. What could she possibly know? So I knew that I needed to hire a coach that was more experienced and looked that part to give that credibility to these parents who are new to the sport who they don't know what I've accomplished uh, and so they just assumed because I looked young at the time that I didn't know anything, which is incorrect. But uh, so I hired, I hired somebody who I am good friends with to this day and who I trusted uh, and I still trust, trust current. Um, and she, she gave a lot of cred- credibility to the program. So there are times when you hire an assistant for a reason or to, but you can't uh, people are what they are. So she, Um, Had so many years of experience, but I knew that it was going to be a challenge for me to teach her to, to coach the way I coach because she's been coaching for so many years. So she added a lot of value to our program in a different way because she added a lot of credibility to a new program with a coach who was perceived as being young and inexperienced. So there's different reasons for hiring different people, but my preference in general is to hire people that I can mold them and I can train them. And they will as they will know their role as an assistant with our program, they will adopt our coaching philosophy and our approach to training. And then, but still give them the tools to think for themselves so that when it's time for them to move on, they will take what they've learned from me and from us and then adapt that to their own and create their own, they're not gonna agree with everything we do, and they're going to take that and become better later. So that's that's how I feel about that.
0: That's uh and by the way I'm not sure when I'm speaking now it's uh the word is falling here with rain but <laughs> really you <laughs> so
1: can't even see it. It, it looks wow, pretty actually. yeah. Yeah,
0: it's uh <laughs> it's raining pretty hard. But anyway, the audio still sounds good. But, uh, falling. <laughs> yeah. So a, a lot of great things there and I I really love that that setup. I think the cannot be overstated how much bringing an assistant coach more so than what the assistant coach knows which is important is going to be how he or she is going to be able to adapt to the team and sell the culture with you right uh, and i think that that's that's a really important thing um, do you have anything that you do once they first come on board and i think in uh, in business and you work in business people talk about onboarding people into companies do you have any kind of onboarding policies when you bring somebody new? Anything you do kind of in the first couple of weeks or first month to making sure that they, they're going through to adapt to that culture?
1: Um, well, I have two things about that. One is um, I was terrible at this in the beginning and I'm getting better because we had an intern from Denmark and his entire project that semester was help me create an employee handbook because coming from corporate America, I didn't want to do that. I was like, no, no, I'm going to do it. We're going to be, you know, a flat organization and there's no hierarchy at all. And we're going to do this. and We're all going to be, well, you learn from your mistakes, right? And situations would come up and I would realize that it was very hard for me to, uh, I think discipline is the wrong word, but educate an assistant coach if they made a mistake because I didn't have the policy. So even though I told them when we, open the gate we change the sign from close to open like something silly you know and but but it was never really written down anywhere so that if they didn't do it it was harder for me to go back and and hold them accountable so I learned through mistakes and so um, I think we do have an employee handbook depending on my mood we use it or not depending on the, the person I'm onboarding so I think having policies in place is important and Just like when you have a new coach, I'm assuming and hoping people do this, you've got sort of a glossary of language or terms. Most of that you just learn by watching your head coach, like on the pool deck. But, you know, I was just talking to my, I have a new assistant, which I want to tell you about real quick. But we were talking the other day about the word quality. We were talking about, like, we're talking about planning for the future and how much quality. And we use the word quality a little differently maybe than other teams, uh, because When we, I learned, how did I I learn when I was an assistant from my head coach, Michael, who uh, spoke English as a second language. So some of the words that he chose to use for different areas of work um, might not be the most accurate terms in terms of the definition, but it's what I use now. So when he says quality, he means speed um, versus we would say speed. Maybe other coaches would use the word quality for something else. And maybe, maybe to them quality is drills, but to me, quality is, is, high threshold speed work you know so um, a glossary of terms or some sort of explanation is really important because especially with a new coach you need to be speaking the same language so the kids don't get and I say kids loosely because I work with like 27 year olds but but you don't want to confuse them you know Um, so that's those things are critical having some sort of a doesn't have to be an employee handbook but like a policy or a process a formal process to do things but then also Uh, the communication piece my assistants always joke with me and i'm getting a lot softer in my old age that uh like rory will say he wasn't allowed to speak for two years um as my assistant (laughs) which is not true i'm not like that but you know i don't i don't want you to to give advice to an athlete until i'm confident that you know what advice to give and i also want to make sure you're using the language of our team so that stuff is very very important um but interestingly, talking about this pandemic, like pandemic land, like I call it, um, it's been an interesting. it's a personal story, but um, so I had this longtime assistant who I who I worked very well with because we're we're basically complete opposites personality wise and approach problems two different ways. And so my old assistant Rory went from being just an assistant coach on the deck to being someone who I relied on very much for his opinion and his input and helping me run the team, you know, and take it forward. Um, our, Our entire master's program is because of Rory, you know, growth that we've experienced has been due to his advice and all of this. So he was with me for, like I said, eight years. And then took left and moved out West to Colorado and in the middle of a pandemic. And I have a brand new assistant in the middle of a pandemic. So this Person. I, I sought her out. I recruited her. She is the right fit for our team. She is amazing and I'm thrilled and lucky to have her. And she was referred to us by um, one of our old club swimmers went on to become a college coach who then became her college coach who then So this is how this connection, how I met this person. She's amazing. This poor girl hasn't spent five minutes on the pool deck because she's been here in a pandemic. So we did. We did hire her in November to replace Rory, who didn't leave till April. So we did have that benefit of a few months of crossover. So she has literally been on the pool deck a little bit, but it's been a unique challenge for our program because um, talk about hiring a new assistant coach and onboarding a new assistant coach. We're doing things that I've never done with an assistant coach. We are (laughs) learning. We're learning Zoom. We're learning how to do MailChimp and how to do a newsletter. We're learning how to um, do online presentations using video webinars for our athletes. And the, the biggest challenge of all of it has been on, on my side, it's been how do you connect, how do you keep a connection with athletes that you're just starting to have a connection with in the first place? So for most of us, it's a matter of we had to stick around and maintain our relationship. Well, she was still in the building the relationship phase. So that's a, a new challenge. On my side and on her side her challenge is wow I signed up to be a swim coach I want to be a swim coach I don't want to be a a zoom scheduler and a newsletter maker and a dry land doer like she this is not what this person signed up to do Uh, so the challenges are many and again if we handle it right it's going to be a learning experience so I keep telling her and myself that this is our chance to get other skills. So these are skills um, at, you know, eight years with, and we've had lots of assistants along the way, but, you know, my full time assistant, my main assistant, eight years with one. And hopefully my goal was to create an environment where he could learn a lot and never want to leave. Um, and, but when he was ready to leave, I would help him do that. And he was, he, he wanted to move. Uh, Florida to Colorado is about as, you know, pretty far away as you can get. He just, he wanted a a move. And so the hope is that I develop an interest level and skills in her that she never wants to leave either. But right now I'm not delivering what I promised. I promised I would teach you how to coach and I would make you a better coach. And here I am teaching her how to make newsletters and type up Excel spreadsheets. And, you know, so uh, again, that's been unique for us. It's a unique situation. Who has their longtime assistant leave in the middle of the pandemic? It was planned. I mean, it was pre-planned, but um, now the skills that we're working with, with our assistant coaches are different, but hopefully we can make them, um, that'll make them better professionals in the long run. So even when we're not in a pandemic, now we know how to do newsletters. Now we know how to do Zoom meetings. Now she knows how to communicate with our athletes and whatnot. So there's, We have to learn the lessons from this, is what I'm saying. That's
0: a very uh, weird scenario. I can't imagine what what that would be like.
1: Well, and then even on Rory's side, you know, he's been with the same club his entire career. Uh, He goes to a new place, an amazing place, and I'm so thrilled. Um, it's, It's a wonderful fit. But, you know, his start date was pushed back because the pool was closed. And then now I talked to him last night, actually. He calls me like once a week or so to check in and, See how each other are doing, and he said that it's they're the only team, the only facility in the area that's open because they're privately owned, uh, which is excellent for them. But they're still—he's been there now a month, and they still he still hasn't really done his job as as he signed up to do it. So he's cleaning the facility, and he's not coaching that much, and he's not doing some of the other things. like some of the stuff he was hired to do, they're not doing. And so it's weird for, on his side too, as a new employee, and you finally make the big move away from where you've been forever. And it's not at all, but he loves it still, but it's not at all what what you thought it would be because life is not what we thought it would be right now. Right, so. yeah. Uh,
0: one of the things you mentioned on the assistant coach side is that you're really passionate about educating them and offering experience. So a question that I ask here, kind of like a "find the sky" question, is: Let's say you had unlimited money to spend on professional development for your staff, how would you spend that money?
1: Well, I feel like I spend unlimited money on it. Honestly. <laughs> I've been doing my taxes because we got a, a delay on our taxes, so I'm like, "Darn!" I spend a lot on coach <laughs> coach education, but it's it's important. Um, it's important, as I said before, because if we want to create true professionals and make this industry an industry made of professionals, they need to have a lot of knowledge. And and I learned it, the good way, in a good way, that the more you teach them, the more loyal they stay to you. So it, there are coaches that feel that a little intimidated. I've, I've worked with a few over the years that, um, you know, the better you get, the more nervous they get. And that's not how you, you want your – my, my goal is to create assistance that will someday be better than me. Like I, I want them, I want to create, give them everything I know, and then they can add their own to it and make it even better. And Michael, my old mentor told me that he said, I, he said, you will be better than me someday. And I was like, yeah, I highly doubt that. And he said, no, that's my goal. I will teach you. You will, you will be better than me because that means I'm good because I was, I created that. So, um, if I had unlimited everything, time, money, um, I think that brings up a good point on a small team, which I would never have anything else. But there are, there are drawbacks. One drawback is your staff is smaller, which means sometimes opportunities have to go away or go by the wayside because you simply don't have the coverage. So, great example again, my old assistant Rory, he became very involved with Master Swimming nationally, USMS. Uh, he's on a national committee. Um, he's sanctions chair of of our LMSC and whatnot, very involved. Um, But he couldn't go to convention last year because I had to be at convention. And because I was on the senior development committee and I was actually running for the board. So I had to be there for the entire duration of the convention, which stunk for him. It hurt my heart that he couldn't go. And I think I cared more than he did. But the fact that it became a matter of coverage, we couldn't both be gone. Um, we have other assistants, but he's my main, like when I'm not there, he was in charge. And so we have challenges like that, which I haven't found the solution to yet. Um, but in an unlimited perfect world, um, I would send every coach I had to the ASCA world clinic, to the ISCA world clinic. I think they call it ISCA clinic. Um, to USA Swimming Convention, because they get to sit at that House of Delegates, which is the whole foundation of our sport. And like you said, I remember my first few House of Delegates meetings at convention, I was bored to death. I'm like, this is awful. Why am I here? How can I get out of this? Um, But once you understand why it's important and why you're there, it's not boring anymore. Even the boring parts aren't boring, because you guys, you whoever, me, you, whoever, we are, we are creating the sport. We're creating it. We're making changes to it. We're making it better. We're fighting over it, but that is democracy right there. This is not a corporation run by one person who makes all the choices. No, no. This is a membership organization and we're the membership and we get to make the choices. And so if I could send every assistant coach in America to the house of delegates convention, just to watch democracy in action, just to watch the way our sport develops, I would do that. But of course, if we did that, then there'd be no practice that weekend because everyone yeah. be at, at that. So given the unlimited resources, I would. I have learned most from meeting and interacting with other coaches from other places. And just understanding, like what I said in the beginning about that Ask a Fellowship, I would give everyone an Ask a Fellowship. I mean, you have to earn it. You have to apply. But I mean, everyone should get a fellowship, whether it's with the USOC, USOPC, or with ASCA. I think ISCA has a fellowship now. Um, there's other NGBs that have. Go do that. Go because it's different than an internship. Yes, a fellowship is unpaid, um, but you're not working full time. You're just learning. You're learning. You're spending time learning. As an athlete, there's a safe sport fellowship. There's a Queen sport fellowship. There's opportunities to be exposed to the world outside yourself in our LSC we were so excited Um, we got approval from USA swimming to take advantage of their they have a, a coaching grant where you can send coaches to other teams and you know I signed up to mentor coaches that come to us and any any coach can apply and go spend three days with another team anywhere they want anywhere in the country fully paid for three days go do that go do that you know So my, I guess it's travel, which again, in the pandemic land, I don't know how much we're going to be doing, but in a word, I would say if i had unlimited resources, I would send my coaches to travel, go meet other coaches, go to clinics, go to classes, go do a fellowship because that's where you're going to see that it's okay to live the world on your own pool deck at home because you're part of something much bigger. So when you're home and you're bored and you're like, oh, here we go again, like 100 swim, kick, pull for the junior group, whoopie-doo, you know, there's something larger at play. And if you can see that and learn that, then you get to be a much better coach because you're more excited about the larger impact that you're having. Awesome.
0: Yeah, a lot there. Um, So the last kind of big topic, and first of all, thank for your time. We're, I think, coming up on two hours here already. Uh, yeah, I like it, the box, yeah. That's, I mean, <laughs> we have all the time in the world right now. Yeah, right? Uh, so sort of a big topic and you touched on when we talked about hiring assistant coaches and it is something that I think is a conversation I'm finally starting to hear a little bit more, but it's still a conversation that needs to kind of pick up steam, which is that of you mentioned making coaching more of a profession and treating coaches more like professionals. And again, when you mentioned on the assistant coaches, you kind of touched on some of the, the things that really are challenges of, of the coaching as a profession and as a, as a life choice, that a lot of hours, a lot of weekend hours, uh, and not a lot of pay. And when I, when I talk about this, I also like to go back. I mean, if it hasn't been clear up to this point, it should be very clear that we're both very passionate about coaching and very passionate about the sport. Otherwise, we wouldn't be doing this on top of everything we do. But at the same time, there are things that we think uh, are like challenges and that things can be better. So I don't know if you want to take a little bit of time to expand on that or, or even most, most important, if you have any ideas in terms of how, how we can mitigate that. And I think another thing that you mentioned is how good coaches at times end up going away from the profession because of these challenges. So how can we keep these good coaches in the sport, in the profession, in the, a little longer? So if you, have it, if you want to expand on that a little more, uh, be happy to hear.
1: <laughs> well, yeah. So I'm trying to think of how, how I could phrase a response that makes sense. I think one of the things that makes American swimming great and special, is that we have the authority and the autonomy as coaches to do what we want, to do what we feel is right. Is there bad about that? Yeah, because we have people doing things wrong too. Okay, but, but, the, but inherently what's good about it is that, that this is the Wild West. You know, you want to do, you want to do USRPT? Great. You want to do long distance based training? Great. You want to do whatever you, whatever you believe in, in your program, do that. If you've had success with it, experiment, have a bad season, have a good season, you know? So what's great about, about our sport is that we as coaches have the freedom. There are, there are countries with federations that tell people how to progress an athlete, what meets to do, what events they do in order, how you have, you know, I did a, I actually, not to pick on one country over another, but I did a, um, a class two years ago over in Shanghai in China and where, um, I don't know what's happening now, but at the time there was, the federation was giving some specific, um, information on progressions and, um, it was really interesting to me, um, the differences, and it made me really appreciate that as a club owner, I can do whatever I want. Hopefully what I'm doing is right, teaching them right, but I have that freedom. But I mentioned the Wild West because it is the Wild West on in the career side too. So like, there's no career path. There's no, like when I was in corporate America, I loved it. Um, I, uh, there was a ladder to climb. And I say that in a positive way, not in a bad pushing anyone back way. But, uh, you know, I started as a sales assistant in a small division. It was fashion accessories. So I started as a sales assistant. Worked my way up uh, became a sales assistant in I think it was handbags a bigger department more volume right then you get promoted and you get to be an account executive and you have your own accounts and you're set and you have a small volume, then you prove yourself, then you get bigger accounts. Then you go to another division. I went. I sold hand. I sold accessories. I sold handbags. Then I sold dresses. That was a big move. Move to the dress division because all of a sudden you had whatever your volume was. Now you just doubled it because your product is more expensive. Then you get promoted and you and you climb this ladder. Eventually, um, I became a, a sales executive in our international division and represented not one brand at the time but our portfolio of brands and then worked my way up to being the head of the sales division and then I was the youngest person to run a multi-million dollar division in a fortune 500 corporation and I'm not saying that because I'm so great I'm saying that because I knew what I had to do next I had to achieve these goals accomplish this sales volume do this impress these people and then I would get a promotion and guess what came with a promotion Uh, more money Uh, more responsibility. And in my case, a bigger clothing allowance, which I loved. So, you know, it was, it was very simple. Then I come to coaching and I'm like, wow, start a team, be a head coach, get a fast swimmer. All of a sudden you're a rock star, have slow swimmers. Oh, then you suck. Oh, then you're somebody, then you go work at a club where there's one head coach and the head coach job never comes open because the you know, clubs have the same head coach for 40 years. So now you're stuck as an assistant. If you want to be an assistant, that's great. If you want to be a head coach, what do you do? Do you start your own club? Well, then how does that go? Do you have a board? You, you know, so it's like literally the wild west. There's no career path. There's no progression. There's no, if you're good, you get this. Sometimes if you're good, you get promoted. Sometimes if you're good, you sit there and rot. So what's, how, where, where is the equity? You know what I'm saying? I don't have a solution because again, what makes it so great is that it is this wild west of like, you know, whatever. So, um, it's, it's a really complicated issue and I don't have an answer, but I do have steps. So what I've tried to do, and I've done more talks on this than I ever want to in my life. I kind of want to talk about something else next time I do a presentation, but professionalism is, the, is at the core of making this a better profession. So what is professionalism? It's how you act. It's how you speak. It's how you look. And it's, it's what, you know, others treat us. We teach people how to treat us. So uh, we need to teach people to treat us as coaches with respect. That means not getting bullied by parents. That means if you're in a job and you – you know, you're working only with 14 to 16 year olds, but you don't really like that. And you really want to work with eight to 10 year olds and you go to your head coach and the head coach says, nope, you're stuck with the 14, 16s cause that's where I need you. And you go, okay, well, what about in six months? And then six months comes and no one is addressing your desire to grow your own skill set by working with the, you know, eight to 10 year olds. Then you need to stand up for yourself and move on, move on, find another opportunity because you are a trick, a, you're teaching people how to treat you. So if you're teaching them not to take you seriously is what I'm saying. I kind of am all over the place with this answer, but at the core of what we do, there is no excuse for a coach not to understand the sport. So know the rules, know what the rule book says, know what the rules changes are, know your basics of technique. That is a non-negotiable. You can't be a good coach unless you know that. So let's level that playing field and every coach has a right to knowing that, especially now in a pandemic land when all the information is online. If you can't afford a coach's clinic or you can't afford the textbook, you know, Foundations of Coaching 201 or whatever it is, then you can go online and get that. So that is, to me, at the base of what we do. We have a skill set. We have a body of knowledge, uh, by the way, which includes safe sport training, uh, safety training, uh, you know, all of these basics. But the next part is, let's be professional. So let's look the part, let's speak the part, let's um, interact in a way that demands respect. And this is not the solution to the problem, but it helps. All these little steps that we can take, I think, help. You know, I did this talk at an Asker World Clinic, and I hesitate to even bring it up, but People talked about it for months and it was just funny, but I did a slide at the clinic about your feet, okay? I did like do's and don'ts of coaches' feet. So think about your customers, think about what, how they perceive you and think about who is your customer. Your customer is your swimmer. I don't care if your swimmer is 10 or six or 30, they're, they're in the water, hanging onto the gutter looking at your feet as you're standing there giving them the set that is what is at their eye level are your feet so how do your feet look are they disgusting because in south florida we got a lot of that a lot of lifers with some disgusting feet and some fungus maybe and some beat up old smelly shoes because they're wet all the time for being on the pool deck you know and everyone like I, I just made one slide and I swear to gosh, people talked about that for months, but they're like, oh yeah, you're the coach that talked about our feet. But, but it's important because I'm asking you to think about what, what you look like to other people, not in a shallow or vain way, not in a try to be better looking. something. No, but in a, am, am I, do I care? Am I showing that I care? So if I'm wearing my Crocs with the toe cut off, that I've had for seven years that literally stink and my feet are like crusty and yellow am I saying that I care or am I wearing a pair of whatever croc, new crocs that um, maybe don't show my toes or or maybe the crocs match our coaching colors or our team colors like some sort of expression of pride in your team in yourself in your body of knowledge is what I'm talking about so I don't care how you look I mean, whatever. My hair is wet. It's pulled back into a bun right now. I have no makeup on. Like, I, I, I don't really care how I look right now, but I did take a shower and I did put on a fresh shirt for you, even though this podcast, no one else can see me, but I mean, you have to have a level of level of respect for, for, for your work. So I guess that's what I'm talking about when I say how you look. So I'm not trying to say, I mean, if you like cargo shorts, wear cargo shorts. I saw a big debate on Facebook on that a couple of years ago. Uh, I don't care. <laughs> I don't care if you wear cargo shorts, but maybe, maybe nice ones, like maybe ones that don't have fringe hanging down or paint stain or like a hole in the pocket from your wallet or your cell phone. Like let's have a, let's, let's do what we want and be free to do what we want, but let's level it up a little bit. Um, I think in general, the profession itself, we got to get, we got to have, there needs to be more money. There needs to be more money. And I don't know how to make that. I'm trying to do it. I'm, you know, I guess it's at the club level. I, I try to pay my coaches as much as possible. Um, and I, I don't know if this helps anybody, but a couple of years ago, I went around to my colleagues down in South Florida and I said, what are you paying your assistants? Because I need to make sure that I'm paying my assistant the same. I don't want to be, if I pay him more, great. But if I pay him less, I don't want to be there. Well, it turns out I was paying him less. And I needed to make that change right now because that's because of the skill that he was bringing to the job and the amount of hours he was putting into the job. He deserved that. And it's not because I'm such a nice person and, you know, it's because he was doing the work he needed to get paid. So we, we need to get paid for the work that we do and we need, and I, I think this is, you know, we've been talking about this for years and I think it's in the works. I know people are actively working hard on it. We need to be able to, specifically with the world of club coaching, we need to be able to offer some kind of insurance, um, financial benefits, you know, like if you go and work and, and you're a W-2 somewhere and you're working for some college program, you've got full benefits, you've got an office, you've got, da, da, da. that is wonderful. Why can't clubs do that? Why can't we have that? Well, I know why. I own a club and I don't give benefits to my employees. I can't. I don't. There are no plans that are affordable for me at this time. There might be right this minute, but I mean, up last time I did the research. And that's, this, I think, the similar case for many people. Do I have the answer? No, but I know what would be great. I know if we could, if we could offer jobs that were salaried with benefits, we could attract more coaches that would be willing to give their lives to this. But, um, you know, until we can do that, then we're all we're working against ourselves so here we are creating olympians we've got some of the best olympic teams in in the world not just in swimming but you know in in other sports as well um and and in every sport coaches are struggling why 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 well why we do it because we love it so much so if you can take that passion and then give us something back for it and i don't know whose responsibility is it i don't know i'm not saying it's usa swimming's responsibility i don't think it is. I think um, I think we need to keep that autonomous approach to coaching, that freedom to coach the way we see fit. Um, and but I do think we need some sort of universal, um, you know, universal. I don't even know what I'm saying. Universal sort of rising up to say like this is a profession we demand it. A union is not really not really the word. Um, I think ASCA has come the closest to this um, as an independent organization. And different people have different opinions about independent organizations and, and certain ones. And, um, but I'm not saying unionize. I'm not saying that. Clearly not. Just to be clear, not saying that. But the concept of having a professional organization that advocates for you um, is, can be helpful for us, you know, because we're going to all have to work together if we want this to be a real profession. Um, And I think USA Swimming is doing a lot of great, important work towards this end right now. Um, There's this keeping athletes first initiative that the board voted on, which is basically the board voted on an expenditure. So so money to be put forward um, towards different things that are going to keep our athletes first. And that means first in terms of priorities at all times um, because without our athletes, we don't have our clubs. And without our clubs, we don't have jobs. And without jobs, we don't have a profession. So uh, keeping the athletes first is key. Part of that initiative is coming up with things like uh, there was some money spent towards uh, safe sport. There's, because that is, that is a non-negotiable at this point. I don't care if you, if you like our safe sport policies or if you don't. If you find them restrictive, if you find them not restrictive enough. It is the way of our world, just like the pandemic is the way of our world right now. Um, It's not changing. It's here to stay and we need to be as good as we can be, you know, and same thing with there's money in that initiative spent towards, um, you know, on like online stuff, like registration platform and some things to make us more into the century. Um, And then there's a fair amount of money that's getting allocated towards coach education, which is at the core of all this blah, blah, blah talking I've been doing, we need to educate our coaches. There's more out there. That's what my ASCA fellowship did for me. That's what being in governance has done uh, for me personally. There is a bigger world outside your pool deck, and the more you know about that world, the better coach you're going to be. So it all starts with coach education. The X's and the O's to the knowing the rules to knowing how to teach a backstroke start all the way to knowing how to comport yourself or handle yourself at a national meet. What, what behavior is expected. We've all seen people at national meets not acting professionally and you go, how did you even get here? Like what? You're not helping our profession at all by acting like an animal right now. You know what I'm saying? And so we need to, but how, because maybe no one ever taught them that this is how you're supposed to act. doesn't mean they're a bad coach. It just means that maybe they don't know how to act. So, so I think coach education is key and it makes me very happy. know that not only ASCA and ISCA focus on education, but also now USA Swimming is spending a lot of resources and a lot of the funding that we awarded them um, towards developing coach education programs that are going to make everybody better. Some of it might seem remedial at first, but it doesn't matter because we have to level the playing field and everybody has to be better. So if we're all better, guess what? Job's going to get better. Pay is going to get better. Benefits will get better. Opportunities will get better.
0: Right. yeah it's by no means an, an easy there is no easy solution to that to those issues but like i said i'm just i'm happy if one of the things this podcast does is start the conversation and spark the conversation and we keep having it and keep figuring out how we can make uh move the sport forward by making it the profession a little bit more uh, more professional so um anyway so only uh two more questions that i have really the one is if you could pick up to three skills or qualities that you would like every athlete that goes through your program to have by the time they're done, and this can be swimming-related or not. What would those be?
1: Now, when I answer this question, I'm going to answer it as my 13 to 18 year olds. I'm not going to answer it as my post grads. Okay. Um, so, keeping in mind that I work with 13 to 18 year old athletes. For this question, I would say kindness is number one. And, you know, we talk about we're, we're helping mold lives and shape lives, and that's all true. Kindness to me is at, at, at the root of it. I think going along with kindness is sportsmanship. Let's teach people how, you know, I'm, I am most proud of my team, um, my developmental groups. When I go to meets and I get comments from officials or parents going, God, your team is so well behaved. Yes, they are because we're teaching them manners. Because back to this professionalism thing, without manners, you're not gonna go too far in life. And so we're basically teaching them manners through sportsmanship. This is how you act, this is how you're gracious, you're humble humble in victory and humble in defeat and you are whatever. So kind of sportsmanship, and then I would say the biggest for us is accountability. We are teaching young people to be accountable for their actions, for their decisions, for their words, for their choices. And swimming is a great, I guess, vehicle to do that because at the end of the day, you can be the best coach. You can be a terrible coach, but you, but they're swimming the race. You're not swimming the race for them. They must be accountable. If they miss their flip turn, it's on them. Yeah. Okay. It's on you too, because you should have coached it better maybe, but at the end of the day, we're teaching these athletes that that's it's their performance that they're, that they're responsible for. So kindness, sportsmanship, and accountability would be probably um, my top three.
0: All right. And then effectively the the last real question that I ask is uh, we've had a long conversation already. I think people got a lot
1: of uh, from from this conversation. It's good. I
0: mean that I don't mean that in a bad way, I think that's fantastic. But what is the most important thing people should know about you? If they haven't figured that out yet,
1: I don't know. I don't really like to talk about myself. <laughs> I like to talk about swimming a whole lot, as you know. Um, yeah. About me, I I don't know. <laughs> That's the one question I, I. Uh, well, you already know a few things about me. You know, I read a whole lot, and I have a terrible memory. So those those two things are true. Um, I think I think what's important is that. Something. Okay, I know I I know something. Um at my mentor, Michael Loberg's funeral, Jack Roach said something. Uh he came and and made a speech, and for those who don't know, Jack Roach is I think he's the head coach at Tide Aquatics now, but he was the national junior team coach and before that he's he's just been an integral part of USA swimming for years and years. And he's he's the he embodies kindness and sportsmanship and accountability, I would say. So, uh, you know, I've learned a lot from Jack, but he, um, he talked about finding, finding the thing that lights your fire. Uh, he talked about how, uh, Michael, Michael was able to light that fire for his athletes and for his coaches. Um, if you look, so many of Michael's former athletes became coaches and so many of Michael's former coaches continued as coaches and have not dropped out of the profession. And I guess what people don't know about me is that that's what I like to do for people, I guess, is makes me really happy to help people light their own fire and figure out what they love to do. Most of the time it's with swimming, um, but not all the time. And I think that that, makes me happy. So like, what do I want out of life is I want to help people figure out what they want out of life. Maybe I should be a life coach instead of, <laughs> instead of a swim coach. But yeah, um, yeah that, I guess that's all. Otherwise, I'm pretty boring. I'll, I'll, my, husband, my husband, okay, so I've been married for 20 years. Almost, it's my 20th anniversary this summer. And I met my husband scuba diving in the British Virgin Islands. And it's been a wonderful journey. And I love him very much. But you know, how do I stay married this long? Be- because he'll say to me, okay, enough swimming talk. No more. Like, stop already. Can we have a half an hour and not talk about swimming? And that pretty much sums up who I am. I've I found my fire, and I-, I love the sport, and I love helping coaches in the sport, and I hope I help coaches, and I love my athletes. I just love everything about it. So uh, if you can find your fire, do that, whatever it is. And if it's not swimming, that's okay. Then get out while you still can uh,
0: that's awesome that's a great answer thank you for sharing and oh, I sure. think it's very good so uh, well first of all thank you for your time uh, it's been great conversation I think anybody that listens to this is going to get a lot out of it there's a lot of uh, very very good uh, snippets from uh, coming from you all the time And I really appreciate it I don't know if you have any closing thoughts or if you want to put out uh, ways for people to get in touch with you that's really up to you for having social media or things like that
1: sure okay so um, we are on social media my uh, I'm not that great at social media so um, if you want to follow me that'd be great because I don't have any followers uh, it, <laughs> uh, we're, we're on Instagram at swim 4 pack, and it's SWIM the number four and our call letters PAQ um, also on Twitter same address On Facebook, we're Performance Aquatics. You can find us online at packswimming.com. And my emails are all over that place. So if you ever need me, please reach out, Um, call, email, whatever. Would love to connect with with everybody. Uh, I think my recent role on the USA Swimming Board, which I've only been in since September, so I'm brand new. uh, I take it very seriously. This is a big responsibility the more I can hear from coaches about what's going on, then the more I can be that coach voice on the board. Um, and you, just going back to what you said, Lucas, earlier, we now have five active coaches on the board, and it's made all the difference, in my opinion, from my first day. Now, I haven't been there that long, but from my first day to today, um, it's it's done a world of good, I think, for for the board and for our organization to have that voice of of really a deep understanding of what's going on in our sport the good and the bad and so want to continue that so any any please i call me complain yell at me do whatever because i want i want it all i want to hear it um, i definitely want to hear it so um, my only last thought would be one thing we didn't talk about much i would love to talk about this more so anybody who wants to talk about it call me Um, I think coaching senior athletes is very interesting. It's obviously what I've chosen to do and there's so much about it to be shared in terms of season planning and challenging your athletes and finding the right competition structure. And, and especially when you get a post-grad that comes to your program um, with a a long history in the sport, a lot of different coaches and their background. Um, I love that challenge. And I think we don't talk about that enough. So if anyone wants to talk about senior swimming, call me, please. Cause I need people to talk to about that.
0: <laughs> All right. Yeah. Uh, I'm not, not on that right now. I'm age group, but I'm sure, uh, we'll love to have that conversation at some point in time anyways. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So once again, thank you uh, very much. And checking out for, for this podcast.
1: Yeah. Thank you. Uh, one more thing I want to say is big thank you to you, Lucas, because I love what you're doing. Um, for those that don't know and those that have bothered to stay with the podcast all the way through, Lucas likes to take a deeper dive. So instead of just giving a stock standard answer to fit into a 45 minute pod or an hour pod, he really likes to just talk and get into detail. And I I think that's a really neat approach. And um, I know that some people might not, listen that long but i think the people that do can really you know take in the answers that different guests are giving and, and reinterpret it for themselves so i love what you're doing thank you for doing it i think it's really cool all
0: right awesome yeah thank you and that was it for another episode of the swim coaching transit podcast as always, thanks for listening, and if you made it to the end, I really hope you enjoyed it. And if you did enjoy this, please take a few seconds to give this podcast 5 stars or a positive review on whatever podcast player you use. And if you like to hear more shows like this, go ahead and subscribe. Once again, I'd like to thank Kathleen for taking the time for this long interview. In fact, In prepping for it, we had talked for well over an hour just a week before, and as I mentioned in the opening, she could have easily covered another couple hours of great content. And i also like to thank her for her work in governance, helping make the sport better for everyone. If you are a coach and want to take only one thing from this chat, be to get involved as well. And remember to check out the show notes on my blog, swimcoachintransit.com That's Swim Coach in Transit, all spelled out together in lowercase with no dashes or special characters. There, you can always find links to books, websites and all other resources we talked about. And in the case of this episode, that also includes music videos and the list of books Kathleen sent me once we were done chatting. And thanks as always to my good friend Madhu for the soundtrack to this podcast. You can also find his Instagram info on the show notes. And also thanks to ZapSled for the sound effects. And that's it. Thanks again, and I hope you catch the next one.